Welcome to 90.9 WBUR, Boston's NPR news station. And this is Lois Reitzis in Atlanta, Georgia. I can't believe I'm still alive. No, I'm just kidding. That's mean. <laughs> she, we, uh, I was driving through ATL one time, heard her, and I just, I, yeah. Anyways, uh, why'd you pick Boston? Uh, I just wanted to try out my NPR voice. How does oh, it sound okay. to you? Does it sound great? It sounds very Alec Baldwin-y of you. Oh, I can I can do Alec Baldwin without the shooting innocent cinematographers. Oh, God. Tonight, we're going to listen to um, uh, Tarkovsky's Symphony, Num- Symphony Number no. 5 with uh, my guest, No One Cares About. I don't know. Um, <laughs> or Shreddy no, with, with my guest. <laughs> <laughs> with, my, with my guest, um, oh my god, uh, oh, the movie last year about the we reviewed it, uh, Tara with my uh, Tar, Tar. with my with my guest. No, yeah, he was in that. He had a bit with that. Oh my god, yeah, Lydia that. Tar, yeah, Lydia yeah, yeah. Tar with my guest Lydia Tar. I I absolutely love the fact that on that like the meme that Lydia Tar was a real person lasted for so long. No, I loved when someone made that fake Wikipedia page and I was so mad when they took Wikipedia should have just like been like, guys, we should keep this up. Like we should just leave this here. I, I absolutely adore Tar. I think it was my favorite movie. Yeah. It was my favorite movie last year. And like, just, I rewatched it recently. Well, not recently, yeah. maybe like a couple months ago. And I just kept thinking to myself, like, this guy needs to make more movies. But he's not gonna. We know that. Speak, And folks, if you want to hear our opinions on the movie Tar, go back to episode, I don't know, the 50... I don't remember what number it is. Um, go back and listen to it, because we really liked that movie. But today, speaking of movies we like, what is today's episode, Al? Uh, today's episode is basically a recap of a bunch of movies that we just... <laughs> Either for various reasons we yeah. couldn't review. We've been really bad with reviewing because... Uh, well, see, Al joined the American Taliban, and that's been really tough for our recording schedule. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, no, it really has. You know, yeah. they're, they're very like... Not only are they super fundamentalists about their religious belief, they're super fundamentalists about like their their meeting schedule. It's it's ridiculous. And and obviously C had a had a psychotic episode where he was running around in leopard print underwear screaming that the aliens were trying to take his colon. And uh, you know, he at had Chica- to get- first of all, I y- yes, but you forgot to mention I did that at Chicago O'Hare Airport. It's a very important detail you're missing. Yeah, um, like I I love how you were like the aliens are coming to get me at the at the Home Alone gate. It's like, I don't think that gate exists anymore. But, you know, <laughs> like you're looking for you're, you're looking for the McAllister family. And I'm like, you know, you know, they're not real. And like they are real. The aliens told me so. Mm. Um, but yeah, but we're hopefully we'll uh, we'll start having some more episodes coming out soon. Fingers yeah. and toes crossed. Yeah. But guys, but, listen, but if we take breaks like this, now, you know what we're doing. Like now, you exactly. know, exactly going crazy and committing terrorism. <laughs> Which <laughs> go hand in hand, the, right? The answer this, may surprise you. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, uh, so we've we've seen we have been watching films. Like I've actually been watching a lot of streaming stuff, and C has been watching like actually like theatrically released stuff. And, and we were and I've been also just I have lists these lists. Look, if you're a cinephile, 
and I think, Al, you can honestly say this too. You have a list of movies. You're like, I'm supposed to see this, but haven't yet. And you've been like, I've, we all have that list. And I've been working through that list on my own. No, yeah. I, shoot, my list is... Oh gosh, it's, my it's list. massive. And some, you ever is there uh, without saying it? We all have that one movie we haven't seen that we're really embarrassed we haven't seen. But yeah, you know, we well, all have. I, one. Ironically, there's a movie on this list that I was like, oh, I'm gonna need to see this. And then like, like when it came out, I read the reviews. And I'm like, I'm kind of glad I'm not seeing this. And I'm, oh, yeah. I'm almost certain you're gonna give me all the reasons I knew that I wasn't gonna see this. Well, so for the record, folks, let me just let's just state clear. So. These are movies, for the most part, that either just I or Al has seen, but not there's, necessarily both. There's a couple in there that we have seen, but we're like, let's just put them in here because, you know. Because we want to talk about them, but we couldn't justify making a whole episode about it. Exactly. So there exactly. are a couple here, but most of them are movies that only one of us has seen. I'd say uh, most of them. Yeah, most of them are that case. There are mm-hmm. some exceptions. Which we'll All right, get to. cool. All right, cool. So with that being said, and we're uh, gonna play the trailer for every one of them. No, I'm just oh, kidding. go fuck yourself. <laughs> we're not doing that. That would be awful. We are oh not doing god. that. Oh my god. Oh, <laughs> uh, we got like maybe a little under a dozen. We got like maybe ten or a dozen. Yeah, and we'll be we'll be fast. We'll. So I think it's fair to say we'll each talk about it. If we've both seen it, we'll both talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then give it give our give our rating on it, and yeah. Yeah, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> um, but no, we if we have like questions, we'll we'll ask. And yeah, like, we'll hey, talk look. about it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So first up is a movie that um, actually this is a movie I was like I have no interest of saying this, and now all my cinephile friends are like you haven't seen that what's wrong with you and I'm like well now I feel bad, but <laughs> but know. on the on the other hand I'm like yeah I feel bad but then again it's like. I, there's just other things like it, it's one of the this is going to be that movie because everyone's saying this is going to be a big awards contender mm-hmm. this is going to be that movie that I'm like yeah I guess sure like and then I'm worried that it's going to be like uh, the father situation <laughs> where where <laughs> we were like we were like I guess I guess and then we're like you know you're crying it's like <laughs> exactly uh <laughs> So uh, yeah, and the, oh, the we're father talk- situation. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, what are we talking about, Al? We are talking about the uh, twenty. We're talking about the film by uh, newcomer, not newcomer. Well, she is a newcomer. She pretty she's much like, is. She's like a playwright who transitioned over to writing, directing. Celine Song mm-hmm. and her film Past Lives. Ooh. It's her feature film debut, starring Greta Lee. T U. And uh, T.U. is actually getting a ton of Oscar buzz. Everyone's saying yep. like he's like the dark horse to be nominated for Best Actor. Yep. Uh, this was the movie of Sundance, apparently. It, Everyone was raving about it. Losing their minds. And uh, I haven't seen it. See, mm-hmm. I've seen it. I saw it in theaters a while back, and I kept pestering Al, so when are you going to see it? Like, when, when Al talks about the cinephiles that, like, have been harassing him to see this, I was half of that, easily. I, it, it's it's not just you. It is no. not just you. I was... I was in I was in a situ I was in a in a setting where somebody is this was like, like when everyone was telling you to watch go see Loose as well was that this situation Oh my God yeah just like like with Loose it was like this random coworker was like I just saw this great movie. 
called loose and i was like oh you too god uh but no i was in i was in this i was in a situation where uh i was in a situation where like someone just comes up to me it's like oh you must have already seen this i'm like no i haven't and they're like well you have to Mm-hmm. You, you you should you're gonna love it and i'm like i'll get around to it and i just never did so okay okay but so, but, but tell me about it tell me about it tell, so, try, make make the full argument for it for me make the full argument for it okay so as a very fast summary the movie is about our lead who basically at the age of like 11 or 12 i want to say uh, she was she was born, raised, and growing up at the time in South Korea, and her parents moved to Canada initially. Actually, oh, um, okay, I already hate this movie. Just hold on, <laughs> hold on, okay. Sure, sure. So now, in like the last month, like towards the very end of her living in South Korea, she develops this innocent, you know, middle school crush on a boy perfectly harmless you know part of growing up whatever and the mom wants to give her like that experience some kind of like the mom finds out that she has a crush on this boy so the mom basically arranges like a a minor like a simple supervised quote-unquote date with the two of them and you know both moms are there basically both the mom of the of the lead character who at the, in this is a little girl at the time and the mom of the boy as well. And it's just an innocent little thing. And the mom was like, I want to give her this before we move because it's going to really be hard for her to make friends where she's going. Cause she's not going to, you know, it's it, learning a new language is going to be really hard for her. So I want her, I want to give her this and you know, it, it's harmless enough. It's sweet, but it is really that first crush. Um, she moves and the movie cuts not even to Canada. We don't. We we barely get a glimpse of Canada. Only a little bit, and it's her like you know, having some classroom scenes in Canada, and it basically being very difficult for her, um, and her trying to adapt to that. And then it immediately cuts to her as an adult, and they have since moved to America, where she has gained a very prestigious uh, writing fellowship. Uh, like one of their, okay, so there are these, for those who don't know, various artists, writers, filmmakers, uh, sculptors, painters, you can get fellowships or grants, much like you can get in sci- the sciences and in any other, just about any, in many other fields. Um, but there are a lot based in New York and LA that are very prestigious, prestigious and very difficult to attain. And she gets one of the writing fellowships, um, very luckily, and suddenly, though, finds the boy that she crushed over as an adult. She finds him, like, her mom finds the that family on Facebook. They start talking, and she immediately starts falling for him again. They're, like, video chatting immediately starts follow, falling for him again and starts like obs- not obsessing that's not the correct word but she starts remembering her her childhood that like that's being brought back and she can't believe how easily she misses that she then decides though to break it off because she has a massive opportunity with this writing fellowship that she's basically putting to the side. So she basically tells him, because they were never in an official relationship, but she says to him, basically, I'm going to stop talking to you. 
Like I, uh, I'm, I'm obsessing over you and I'm sorry, but I need to focus on this. I have literally traveled thousands of miles in my life to get this. And this is what I really want to do. So don't contact me. And this of course breaks his heart. In the meantime, we've also been cutting to his life in South Korea. Cut way ahead. I'm not summarizing this in the best way. Uh, cut ahead. She goes to this retreat as part of the writing fellowship. That's like, how do I describe this? In like upper state New York, there's this house with all these writers. And she meets a guy there, like another writer. And they develop a relationship. And like a few more years pass. And they're married. Like they're fully together. Mm-hmm. Um, and that guy reaches out to her because he, the, the, the Korean guy reaches out to her saying, I'm going to be in New York. We should catch up. And she agrees. And the rest of the movie, I'll leave kind of open, but it's basically her fully reconciling with the choices that her family made for her, the choices she made to leave, and then the choice of what the trailer, if you watch it, which like I said, we're not going to play it, but the trailer kind of implies like, is she going to make this choice of, you know, did she miss, is, is he the one that got away? So to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, now what I love about this movie were two things. One, it, the movie is fucking gorgeous, fucking beautiful to look at. It's, I heard a negative critique about the movie saying that the cinematography was very moody, but I would argue that it may be a touch melodramatic, but it's just so well constructed and so lovingly designed that you, you've seen imitators of it and you scoff at it, but you, lo- mm-hmm. you can only imagine that this movie could do that. Uh, also, for the record, the movie is a, a little more than half in English and half in Korean, mm-hmm. um, which is why it will, it, should it be nominated for Oscars, it will not be nominated in the uh, foreign language film category. I don't even think in that category it made the cut, like the top, you know, 20 cut for it or whatever you call it, or the top, the top tier list for it, because... It is like they determined it was like in 52% English or whatever, like majority English by a little mm-hmm. bit. Okay. This, yeah. So I just, sorry to interrupt, but no, just one please. question. Um, yeah. I, I'm kind of interested in the fact that like, again, uh, the, 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 the male lead is T T O U T O U. Yeah. And this seems to be almost exclusively about, uh, Greta Lee's character. It is. Oh, it is. So, it, so it, it, if it's more about but the, her, but the movie does go into his perspective at times. It go both of their, they're the only two that you get uh, fully shared perspective in for a large portion of the movie. Um, her much more than him, to be clear. Okay, but, so yeah. what about is what is it about his performance that is like making people say like, oh, this guy should definitely get a best actor nod? So I'll be honest, and I was a little surprised to hear that. Let me be clear, he's very good. I'm not saying he's not good, but that his performance is not what I entirely picked up on uh, in the movie. Mm -hmm. I would say what makes him good, though, is he does exude this very interesting loneliness. And also what he you realize he's very good at the character wears emotional masks, Mm -hmm. but changing them and switching them out. 
it's very subtle what he does. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's the best way I can describe it. But for me, what made the movie was the cinematography and the writing for me. Because mm-hmm. I've already described the cinematography. I won't say more about that. But for a uh, take this premise, okay? But mm-hmm. get, but but have a worse writer create it. This is easily some sort of awful, schlocky Netflix original. Not that not all Netflix originals are bad, but Netflix original, really hokey, dumb movie with just a really... Uh, stupid conclusion so to speak Mm -hmm. but what I love about this movie is it takes this concept this idea this very because you know at the end of the day it's like oh star it's kind of like star-crossed lovers but they're still alive so to speak like that seems to be the concept of the movie Mm, okay but it handles that in an incredibly honest and realistic way. Like it demands the actors to actually handle the situation in a real way, not in like a hallmark cue this music or cue that music way. It's like, how would someone actually react if they're feeling this way? And the the truth is for the lead actress, you would be terrified if you felt this way. You'd be terrified. This person says, I'm coming to New York. Can I come see you? If I'm that person, I'm fucking terrified. Like, not like, okay, literally, like, boo, scared. But I'm definitely nervous. And you can tell she is. But you are actively trying to hide it as well. This movie has such Mm -hmm. incredible layers to it that are Mm -hmm. really remarkable. Um, I was talking about a... So, the... There, folks, where we live, there is a store that you can get a lot of hard-to-find movies at. I will not be more specific than that. But Al and I have both been there. And Al, wouldn't you say that the the people who work there that for who have who still work there, the full timers, they've got good they're they're all cinephiles, right? You would say Yeah, yeah. Like you you may not agree with everything they say, but you can you definitely respect their their general opinion, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. There's one there and I will not describe him in any way. Um I was talking to him about it, and we were talking about the ending. And unprompted, he cried. Like, tear. he had to step away for a second. Now, there may have been something personal I tapped into. That's why I'm being very vague about any description here. Um, but he teared up. Because the ending is, it's not that it's sad, but it's kind of like, and Al, I'm saying this in a way that makes you want to see this. So I'm sorry if this is going to like be a bit of a stab to the heart for you. It is a much more grounded, the ending is a grounded, realistic, but sad version of your name in the end. That's the mm. best way I can, let me be clear, grounded in reality for obvious reasons. We okay. know that. But okay. in, in the emotional impact, there is something for me that hits so fucking hard with that. It mm. will be in my top 10. I have no doubt about it. Um, also, credit to the guy she's actually married in that movie. He does. He has this great... There's a scene they have where she's talking to her husband about him. And she's explaining that she knows him from childhood. And that they were childhood sweethearts. And he's like... He literally says in the movie, Oh, so if this was a movie, I'm the, I'm the American asshole you married that's keeping you away from him. You know... 
he this is like you have a like a this is a star-crossed moment and then he looks at her and goes we suck like literally it's this really funny but honest moment where he but he's saying this but you realize he's actually in he's saying this because he's insecure about it that's why mm. he's saying it so the, the, the layers of this movie and the subtext of this movie, plus the absolutely incredible cinematography, not only put this in my top 10, but very likely my top five. This okay. is a, this is a fucks for me. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. Very and cool. And fucks. Wow. I was, <laughs> so that, that, that I was not expecting for me. I mean, I, 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 I don't know. Like, like, like my, you know me, I'm yeah. I'm very I'm very much a guy who's always been like, who's always been like, oh, you know, everything that like blows up at Sundance is usually something I'm like, oh, that was that was cute, I guess. But here's but, the uh, thing: I would say even if you don't love this movie, Al, you will look at it and be like, this is the best version of this that this could that this story could ever have been. You'll okay. at least hold that conclusion. Okay, cool. Uh, next up is Renfield, another film I did not see. Was, <laughs> yes, but uh, but C did. So yeah. uh, I'll be sure. I'll be shorter with my summary of this one. Sorry, Past Lives is one we're going to talk about in our top ten, bottom five episode. So I'll go more into that then. But I'll be faster with some some of these more than others. So okay. Renfield, uh, Renfield, directed by Chris McKay, was is he's an animator who everyone knows as the director of of the Lego Batman movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple years back, he did the Tomorrow War that came out on Amazon with uh, with Chris Pratt. Uh, Renfield is kind of this... So basically, after the Dark Universe kind of like cratered. Died. Yeah, yeah cratered and died. Basically, Universal's approach to like their Universal Monsters IP because they were like, well, we don't have superheroes. What can we do? Uh, they, uh, they got the director of... Oh, uh, the guy who did the Invisible Man, what was his name? Oh, the guy who did Upgrade. Lay Wan- Lay yeah, the guy yes. who did Upgrade. Lay Wanell, and they Invisible Man, up- great by the way. Both great, yeah, versions, yeah. yeah, really, really good. And Lay Wanell pretty much said, "Listen, guys, just like listen to filmmakers give their pitches and just do that." Mm-hmm. And uh, you would not believe who gave the pitch for this. Who? Robert Kirkman, of all people. Are you serious? Yeah, Robert Kirkman gave the huh. pitch. They liked it, which is like, hey, what if we make this movie about Renfield? And uh, he wrote it with a couple of the writers, and uh, Chris McKay signed up to uh, signed up to direct it. And uh, they cast Nicholas Holt as Renfield, and Nicholas Cage as Dracula. <laughs> Aquafina is in this too. Yes, she is. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, Renfield is I think like the second of these like Universal monster reimaginings. Yeah. With in this case, it's kind of just reimagining Renfield as like a kind of like almost like a superhero. I guess w- would that be the best way to put it? Yeah, kind of. Um, what would what? So tell me about the movie. So this movie is about uh, toxic relationships. That's genuinely what this movie's about. Um, Interesting. It's. Because it basically frames it that way, where Renfield is in a toxic relationship with Dracula. Isn't that Robert Kirkman's bread and butter? Yeah. Toxic relationships? No, it, it, yeah. We're not... We're, yes. The, the short answer is yes. Um, but Renfield is basically about the toxic relationship between Dracula and Renfield. And I'm not going to beat for beat describe the plot in this one. Um, but long story short, it's Renfield realizing that Dracula's not a good dude. Like... He's not, and it's not good to be be with him, so to speak, in this way. Um, but basically, 
Renfield's trying to get out of it. Dracula won't let him. And Aquafina is basically trying to solve these all these murders that are kind of happening because of Dracula, but also happening because there's just this like gay there's this side plot where it's like this mafia war gang violence thing and Renfield kind of gets caught in the middle of it but uses his superpowers to like help solve that uh while the gang mafia group like realizes oh well if Renfield exists there must be someone else and they kind of find Dracula and they take Dracula into their wing and Dracula of course does a Dracula and tries starts killing everybody left and right um I know that Nicholas Holt is the star of this movie, but the real star of this movie is Nicholas Cage as Dracula, because basically he's can, doing he's doing Bella Lugosi, right? He's doing full fucking Bella Lugosi, um, <laughs> like completely complete Bella Lugosi, and you can tell he's having an absolute blast. I will say the makeup effects for this were really good. Uh, there is a sequence in this where when you first meet Dracula. In the present day, he's very sickly because they basically explain for whatever reason that it's been harder and harder. Like every time word starts to get out, basically the movie points out an interesting fact that every eventually people get suspicious of Dracula. Like eventually mm-hmm. people figure it the fu- people figure it out. So now because of that, he has to go like Renfield has to go to hospitals and get like donated blood and feed it to him but because modern people like people after the industrial revolution aren't as healthy like the blood isn't as good so he's very sickly and sometimes he just has to get like animals too for dracula and it just he's so there's this opening sequence where they go to like an abandoned i don't even know what it was like an abandoned uh some sort of abandoned place i can't even remember it's been so long since i've saw it seen Mm -hmm. it this year because remember oh yeah this takes place in new orleans okay and they're really playing into the fact that certain parts of New Orleans still, yes, still, haven't been fully repaired since Katrina, like it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they play into that a lot. Um, not like overtly stating it, to be clear, but they do uh, like use that setting to their advantage, I guess you could say. Um, mm-hmm. And he visits Dracula, and Dracula looks like he's from John Carpenter's The Thing, that's the best way I can describe it. But like really? not not like where it's like all these extra limbs and shit, but like like his skin's all kinds of fucked up. And like he looks just bloated and gross because uh, he's like not getting healthy blood in him. He's not being fed a lot. Um, it's really fucked. Um, and the effects are practical and were put on Nicolas Cage. And he, you can tell he had fun with that. But he obviously... Gets his health back. He drinks a lot of blood. um, Starts fucking with everybody. But basically, Renfield and the police have to team up to both defeat this mafia gang war situation and, and defeat Dracula because he is basically trying to... Uh... How do I describe this? He's trying to reign terror again, basically. And they gotta stop mm. him. Mm. And that's basically it. The movie tries to leave room for some sequels. It'd be cool if there were, but, you know, I'm not holding my breath for it. What uh, would you rate it? This is a movie if you let it, if you leave it be. And what I mean by that is if you just sit back and relax, it can be a movie. 
if you start overanalyzing this and nitpicking it, it may not be. But if you just sit back, relax, and accept that you're watching something that's a little gory, a little action-packed, a little silly, a little fun, it can be a movie if you want it to be. That's okay. what I give it. Okay, interesting, interesting. Well, um, I, I, is Renfield on Peacock? It, I'm sure it is. Because cause here's the thing. Like, the, the, it was timing reasons that I wasn't able to watch it when it yeah. was out in theaters. But there was something about, like, if Nick Cage is doing a Bela Lugosi impersonation and it's, like, super gory, I'm, I'm down. I'm, yeah. I'm very down. That's so, the, and that's so, why you want to see it. That's why. Yeah, yeah, And exactly. Nicholas, for the record, Nicholas Holt can carry a role. No, yeah, Nicholas Holt can carry a role. And our future Lex Luthor. Oh, right. I forgot. Yeah. Next up is a movie. This is one of the movies we did end up seeing. We Ugh. just could never find a, a time to make a – it's a, a review about it, yeah. um, but we're like, hey, let's just do it here on for episode eighty. Let's uh, do it. Matt Johnson's BlackBerry. <laughs> now, folks, listen, <laughs> <laughs> listen. Um, when you're it's like, been, it's been an era, folks. Apparently, these past two years are the years of products. But okay, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Where where we're like, we're like. Ugh. Do we really want to see a movie about the invention of the BlackBerry? How interesting could that be? Oh. Well, well, it's it's actually kind of funny. We like I remember like we saw the trailer and we were like, oh, that doesn't look great. Glenn Howerton looks like he's like not really good in this. And then I think you noticed the director and you're like, oh, this guy's like a a YouTuber. Who like made a really good like super indie movie, mm-hmm. and you you were like, oh, th- th- this is interesting. This is like him. This is like when um, this is this is like uh like kind of sort of when uh, Ryan Coogler made the jump, uh, yeah. from from like Fruitvale Station to Creed. Yeah, pretty much. And, but but internet based first, and yeah. Yeah. So basically, uh, we here we have Jay Baruchel and Glenn Howard and starring as kind of the two leaders of RIM when they went from like Canadian obscurity to at one point in time, the biggest, one of the biggest, like the biggest company in the history of Canada. Yeah. But one of the big tech companies from the early two thousands. And, uh, that's Jay Burchell as Mike Lazardus and Glenn Howerton as uh, Jim Balsilly, Balsilly. These were the two co-heads of Research in Motion when when they pretty much invented the yeah the BlackBerry. Like yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think what they call it. like the the personal assistant, the the personal digital assistant. Like it, it had many names that they the were the the, the business around. phone. Let's yeah. put it that way. The business phone. The thing the, that was a step up from your pager. Basically. Exactly. Exactly. Combining and your pager with your phone. Basically. Exactly. So uh, this movie. Uh, Starts off uh, in <laughs> in Waterloo, uh, Ontario, I think. Ontario, yeah. Ontario, yeah. Waterloo, Ontario. And uh, Research in Motion is based out there. And uh, this is kind of when uh, Mike Lazardus and his co-founder, played by director Matt Johnson, mm-hmm. Doug Freegan, they're just, they're just trying to, like, sell modems. Modems that they build, right? And they're trying to pitch to I because they make better modems or something. They make better modems, but nobody realizes they make better modems. Because no one like it. You know what? Actually, folks, the best comparison to this is if you've seen The Pursuit of Happiness, where Will Smith is trying to sell some sort of that medical device that nobody wants. Mm -hmm. That's what it was like. It's like it's a great device, but nobody could give a shit. Like nobody exactly. So, uh, so they're pitching their modem to uh, Jim Balseal. At this like small like business company 
in Canada, this kind of medium-sized business company. And Jim Belseal is like, you guys are terrible at this. We're not buying your product. But he notices that uh, Lazarus actually like is like a tech savant. He like knows how to fix tech. And, and like, first of all, Lazarus hates, and I mean hates, like Chinese tech because it's so it's made subpartly, right? Mm-hmm. So he does take note of that. And then later on, we find out that he got fired because he overstepped his bounds. Mm-hmm. And uh, while Mike, Mike uh, Lazarus and uh, Doug Fregan are kind of like, well, research in motion is kind of going nowhere. And uh, all our all our clients are kind of canceling our kind of canceling their orders for our modem. Mm-hmm. Mike. Uh, oh, and at the times um, this the guy making helping to build more modems for them was about to screw them over. Yeah, yeah, that, that's what I meant. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's what uh, you meant, yeah. Jim Basile basically takes it upon himself to kind of impose himself on Research in Motion, going like, "Listen, you guys make you. I think you guys have potential. Have me as your CEO, and we'll we'll get somewhere." Mm-hmm. And they do, and they are able to sell their modems. And then uh, Jim's like, "Okay, we we got to come up with a with a product because we can't just be selling modems all the time." And Mike Lazarus goes like, well, we have this idea of designing this phone that uses airwaves that aren't used by any other tech to send emails. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you also I put this could act. I remember the movie makes it clear that uh, everyone in tech knows this exists, but everyone believed it was impossible to access at a greater level. That's yeah. Right. Now. Folks, listen, this is 2023. Yeah. We, we hear that. We're like, no we shit. hear that. We're like, we're like, okay, whatever. What will make that so great? Remember, this is 1996. Yeah. This that is 1996. And, uh, and pretty much like they go pitch to Verizon. Verizon laughs in their face and says like, yeah, no, we, we know that. We know what there's potential there. Impossible. What you're saying is impossible. <laughs> and this is such a great little character poem kick. Mike Lazarus literally starts like, drawing out like the schematics for making it work. And Jim Belseal goes like, what the fuck are you doing? And he starts erasing. He's like, if you guys want to know how this works, you got to go into business with us. <laughs> and yeah. the Blackberry is born and we see the rise and fall of our RIM research in motion as yeah. it goes. Folks, listen, this movie's amazing. Sorry. No, no, this, yeah, this movie's amazing. So you can attest to that. <laughs> this movie's like, it's funny, but here's the, here's the crazy. This was the, this was the first okay this was technically the second but really the first movie i saw where i was like okay this might be in my top 10 like that was the first time i had that thought in my brain for 2023 so like listen the glenn howerton in a bald cap you're like dude you're trying too hard and then you watch the movie and you're like (laughs) This is an incredible performance, mm. an amazing performance. Like Beautiful. everyone's saying that the best supporting actor is going to be super stacked in an, in a year where it wasn't as stacked. I could have seen him as the dark horse. Yeah. I was like, hoping for it. He is incredible because he taps into uh, his character from it's always sunny. Oh, it does. it so good, <laughs> but he taps into a rage that, you recognize like oh yeah this is this is this is um what's his character's name and it's always sunny this um, is um uh dennis's rage this, this is dennis yeah this is dennis but it's in, it's charged through the through the through the mouth of a very very rich canadian who loves hockey 
<laughs> and uh, and it works so well. Oh but more than God. that, and and <laughs> we never talked about it a lot, even between us. But no, yeah. Jay Baruchel as mm-hmm. as uh, as uh, Mike Lazardus. Mm-hmm. Like this is the first movie where I've been like, oh, Jay Baruchel's an actor. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Like like. I'm sorry. Like every Jay Baruchel movie I've ever seen has him has just been him playing him. You um, don't even think that uh, in in Million Dollar Baby he was doing something special. Though? Oh well, well yeah, he was doing something special in Million Dollar Baby. That yeah. but that was like early in his career. Fair. This is this is kind of him being like, guys, I I can act. Like obviously my range isn't wide, but I but can he act. can he can he can't and and his Mike Lazarus is so compelling because this is a guy who's not comfortable in his own skin whatsoever, mm-hmm. really self-doubts himself. And there's literally only one thing in his life that he knows and is confident in, and that is in, in developing quality technology, uh, in, his, in, his, um, in his skills as an engineer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, we, have, uh, we have Matt Johnson playing uh, Doug Fregan. The, ro- the role of Doug Fregan isn't, like, super heavy. He's basically, like... The guy who wants things to stay. He's the Waz of this story. Mm-hmm. He's the Wozniak of this story. But but he does a really, really good job. Yeah. But He's like a chill you, Wozniak. Yeah. But what his uh, where his skills really, really lie in is just being he, – he's – as a director, mm-hmm. his ability to balance the tone where there are some moments that are really funny and other moments that are drop-dead serious – and it, it, you never get whiplash in this movie. Mm. Me and C were laughing hard, and then we were like, oh, shit, things just got real. Yep. And doing that balancing act is the sign of a very, very talented filmmaker. Uh, See, you've seen some of Matt Johnson's other work, correct? Yes. Like, were, you, were you following him when he was, like, in his YouTuber career? Uh, not in his YouTuber career as much. Um, So I've followed him along. So... He did, he's done two movies. Um, One was basically a movie about these, for lack of a better term, nerds who start like messing with and uh, provoking their school bully in a really creative and messed up way. Um, It's called Fudge. Um, Oh no, hold on, give me two seconds. It's really good. It was on Netflix for a while, but it's not anymore. The Dirties? The Dirties, yes. Um, the Dirties is great. Uh, but yeah, it's basically about these nerds who were start messing with their school bully, but then take it way too far, uh, way too fast. And then in 2016, he comes out with a film called Project or uh, Operation Avalanche. And what it's basically about is basically NASA comes to these like, uh, indie filmmakers and says hey we're gonna go to the moon but just in case we can't we want you to make a fake moon landing in case we fuck up but then they it, the rest of the movie it's like the first act is them making it and then NASA gets to the moon and NASA basically tells them you need to destroy all evidence that you even tried to make this thing because we don't want to start a rumor that the moon landing was faked. And the rest of the movie is them completely fucking up that them trying to hide that fact. So it's like it, the movie is trying to explain how that rumor came to be. And it's basically their fault. It's completely <laughs> fictitious, but it's very funny. Um, it's a little... The direction is a little iffy at times, but still overall a great. It's it's very well done, very enjoyable. 
Um, I highly recommend it. I would say, though, The Dirties is the better of the two movies. And mm-hmm. then Blackberry, let me be clear, in my opinion, is better than both of them. Um, it, it, it's just so I, I, I was doing like a bit of background research on this movie, and it's really fascinating. So uh, Matt Johnson, um, he pretty much the, 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 the directing style he knows is very much a documentary inspired style. Mm hmm. And Glenn Howerton was talking about how, like, Matt Johnson would basically leave the uh, the uh, cameras very, very far away, and he would use these giant zoom lenses mm. to zoom in. Like, he wouldn't move them. He just zoomed in on them so that, like, it felt like they were doing kind of, like, enhanced theater where it's, like, you don't see the cameras in anywhere. Mm-hmm. So you're just kind of going, like, okay. And, and Matt Johnson apparently isn't like super strict about blocking like like he tells him where to go but he's not like super strict about it mm-hmm. so glenn harden talked about how it was supernaturalistic that it really felt like they were just doing theater mm-hmm. uh and that's oh, amazing God, they because do a play out of this that'd be funny anyways it, um, it's it's really incredible because you watch the movie and you're like it, it's it's well shot it's mm-hmm. well shot but it's defi- definitely a documentary inspired style yeah uh but they talked he they talk about that and matt johnson talks about it. I was like yeah like i feel like cameras being so close to an actor just can get distracting sometimes and like do you feel that naturalism in the performances and everything and i think that's why he's able to balance tone very well and um listen again glenn howard in in another year he would have been a dark horse for because here's the thing i hope this just i hope if this does anything it gets him more roles in movies if this does anything which i think like people people like people think like i don't i don't know like did did Canada submit BlackBerry for their best foreign foreign? It's uh, not gonna be because you uh, you can't do English speaking oh, movies yeah, for yeah, that. Oh yeah 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 yeah. So they always have to do their, the French ones. Yeah. Um. So like, Glenn Howerton, at the very least with this thing, like you said, he should be in more movies. But it it kind of also shows that you know he 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 isn't just a comedian. Like he's very funny in this. Mm-hmm. But he isn't—he isn't just a comedian. He has this range of showing, like, rage through insecurity, uh, like being able to like command a room. Like he, there, it's well. What's it's actually not- good though, he does get vulnerable because there's a moment when he realizes that he is not, things are not working, and he plays it. Instead of like just dipping into the rage, he does the opposite. He actually, the character kind of takes. The character expresses fear at one point that you didn't expect the character to express. Yeah. Like when the the character is actually like, there's a moment the character's like, you know what, we can't sur- we can't surpass this. And instead of just blowing up again like he had before, he actually kind of retreats, and that shows Glenn Howerton's skill in this because exactly. he understood what to actually do. Yeah. In, instead of just making a bombastic moment. Also, also just narratively speaking, like we all know, like okay, like. Folks, if you know anything about the BlackBerry device, you know that it died in 2007. It did. And you, you want like, to know like, what killed it? <laughs> um, and, and like throughout the entire movie, I'm like, all right, what's that scene going to be? What's that scene going to be <laughs> it where it's so like. so good. And, and, and the scene comes up and, and it, this is Jay Baruchel's scene. The way J, Jay Baruchel plays it up where he's like, he sees the announcement and like everyone, all the all the engineers at Research in Motion just go like, oh my God, touchscreen, iPhone. <laughs> and, and Jay Baruchel's character, Mike Lazarus, just goes like, no, 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 no. No, no, no. He goes like, 
no keyboard. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Mm. And he sells it. Like, for a moment, you're like, yeah, that's so stupid. <laughs> even, though it's been, even though it's been, like, what, uh, 16 years yeah. <laughs> of, of iPhone dominance? But mm. um, listen, this movie this movie's really, really good. Uh, AMC released a miniseries version of this where, they, where Matt Johnson added, like, Two really? two extra hours. Yeah, it's it's basically a four episode miniseries. You'll have to look so, that up. So if you have AMC Plus, it's on there. Oh, I have that. So yeah. Yeah. So uh, it, I, I'm kind of like okay. I haven't watched it myself. I although it's so weird that we're getting this like the, the, this era of like reconfiguring movies for like miniseries. Like well, that happened with Hateful Eight. Yeah. And with Australia, they did oh. that with Baz Luhrmann's Australia. Although now it's called like Fairway Down. So yeah, because they're like they're yeah, which is okay. Anyway, yeah. that's anyway. Yeah. Anyway. This movie to me is a very, very enthusiastic flush. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a great time to watch. It's informative. Um, the only reason this isn't a fucks for me is just because outside of Jay Baruchel and Glenn Houghton, all the other performances are kind of just like by the numbers. And yeah. um, But that being said, I think... Matt Johnson is growing up to be a very, very confident filmmaker. And I give this a crackberry flush. <laughs> a crackberry flush. Oh, God. Oh God. But, All uh, right. but what you're saying, I completely agree. It's an amazing movie, but those detractors, not even detractors, just reality factors of the movie are completely true. Mm-hmm. All right. Next up is the GameStop movie. Craig. <laughs> uh, uh, Craig uh, Giuseppe's Dumb Money. So, folks, background. Um, mm-hmm. In, like, this was, like, in 2020, I think, when this happened. Uh, a bunch of, like, Redditors on, on like, their, their – I, I forgot what the name of the subreddit was, but it was basically, like, a subreddit for buying and selling stocks, like, blowing up something. Yeah, uh, Wall Street Bets. Wall Street Bets. Yes, thank you. Wall Street Bets. And this was, in, this was like, during the height of the pandemic. Wall Street Bets basically uh, learns that uh, that uh, AM, does, oh wait does AMC own GameStop because I never could figure that out. Um, I don't know. I don't uh, know. I don't. Well, know anyway, they genuinely don't know. Um, well, anyway, uh, basically what happens is that uh, th- these giant Wall Street companies are basically going to short out. Uh, the GameStop stock, right? Uh, they they're like, oh, they're doing this in order to. They're basically gonna kill GameStop to make a profit, and a bunch of millennials on Wall Street bets like, because here's the thing: when when you do when you buy and sell stock, and you see the prices how they fluctuate, you can you can see a squeeze mm-hmm. in the in the in the market like in the graphs. You're like, oh, they're squeezing that thing. Mm-hmm. Like it's very obvious they're squeezing that. Mm-hmm. And the people in Wall Street Bets were like, oh, it looks like they're squeezing a GameStop. That's bullshit. And everyone on Wall Street Bets just starts buying GameStop stock. Mm-hmm. So, listen, see, you're more of the buying and selling stocks. So maybe yeah. you can explain this a lot better. Uh, what happens when people start buying a particular stock? Well, it's value inflates significantly. But it takes a lot to do it. You got to keep in mind. So, Okay. The more you buy into a stock, the more the stock market will then perceive its value. This is actually the only, without the stock market, okay. So 
101 on investing in stocks. You can be an investor in the company. You can own shares of it if you, you know, basically the companies will determine, well, the market determines the value of the shares and those the value of said shares fluctuate. But the more people buy into it, it's kind of like betting on a horse. But let me be clear, I'm not saying investing in the stock market is like betting. In fact, everyone in their in the world should be investing some money in the stock market for the record. But you know how when you look at a horse race and there is there is a horse that is got a much better track record, so the amount you're going to win is lower, okay? Well, let's equate that to the fact that Apple stock is very expensive, extraordinarily expensive because A, it's it's two factors. One, the company is a huge success, but B, the people keep buying more and more and more and more into the stock. It's mm-hmm. both factors at play. An interesting example where you can find weird moments, though, is this is no longer the case, but for a while, Amazon was one of the most successful companies with the worst stock for years because Jeff Bezos would take the profits and reinvest all of it back into the company. So technically, they had very little or almost no profit for many years. So it was mm-hmm. They were known as this weird, it was like the white whale because they were, like I said, they were massive, but no profits, terrible stock, very low in price. Um, but some people figure out, look, eventually they're going to start making a profit. So people bought up a ton and it then shot up. Um, so with GameStop, so what happened with Wall Street Bets basically is how you described it. These people on Wall Street Bets decided that it was total bullshit that these wealthy motherfuckers were sh- what's known as shorting a stock, which as Al said, actually the big short does cover this part really well. about Great shorting movie. A- it is a great movie too. There are three... There are two great movies about the stock market. Notice I corrected myself instead, too. We'll get to Dumb Money in a minute. Anyways, one is called uh, The Big Short, which is basically about the housing crisis and these select group of guys that uh, figure out that they're going to short the housing market. Um, And then the other is called Margin Call, which is basically in the perspective of the banks that fuck people over. Um... Both are great movies for wildly different reasons. Um, I, anyways, but while, uh, the, sh- the, the Big Short does cover this part where really well, where yeah, you can basically bet against the value and quality of a company, and it's shorting a stock. And what, what kind of happens in Dumb Money? Well, what happens in Dumb Money is these people on Wall Street Bets decide that there's Turns out the internet loves GameStop, I guess. And Wall Street Bets decided that it was bullshit, that this is what was happening, that they that the rich people were doing this. So they all start buying the stock and getting their friends to buy the stock. And more and more, and little by little. And I think also, people didn't realize how many people were following Wall Street Bets. And more specifically, one of the main guys on Wall Street Bets, um, I don't remember the actual guy's name, um... Played by, um, oh my God, he was the. Uh, I'm blanking on all the names tonight. As usual. Dane DeHaan. No, um, played uh, the Riddler. Uh, Paul Dano. Paul Dano. Yeah, Paul Dano. Sorry, I don't know why I confused. I, I was like, why did you say Dane DeHaan? Wait. Well, he's in this movie too, right? No, he, yeah, and yes. Anyways, Paul Dano 
plays like one of the major players of Wall Street Bets, also does live streams, um, and basically starts convincing people to buy more and more of this stock. Well, it turns out there were enough of them to basically what you can call artificially inflating the stock. And for the record, I genuinely think what happened to GameStop is like the first meme that's going to be looked at in history that has actually had real world consequences to such a positive degree, I should say, mm-hmm. where basically it it increased the amount of people involving themselves in the stock market. It also shined a light on certain companies that al- claimed to be like for the people with stocks, which we'll get to that also in a moment. Um, but basically enough people bought it so that the value of the stock was, I forget the height of it, but like, but over like 500% raised in value Mm -hmm. and the thing is if you're someone who's invested a lot of money in shorting a stock um and maybe you were a little dumb and you put in too much money you start losing money and we're talking billions of dollars that you could potentially lose which one character played by uh seth rogan lost two billion dollars in three days because of this. That was which, the guy who ran uh, Melvin Capital, right? Yes, the guy who ran Melvin Capital <laughs> lost $2 billion in three days from GameStop. So uh, so yeah. I, I only know this because of the of the of the news reports that came out about the guy. Looks nothing. Seth Rogen looks nothing like this guy. No, yeah, they, they, that, that's true. Looks nothing like <laughs> him. He did, a fu- he, did a, he did a perfectly fine job playing him, but doesn't look anything like him. Um, this movie also talks about uh, a little app called Robin Hood and the little part they played in this. Um, do you mind if I explain what happened there? Sure, sure, sure. So Robin Hood was basically an app meant for investing for the people. Like you could do micro investments. You could, um, basically anytime you, you, well, no, that's Acorn. Sorry. Um, but it was meant for anyone to invest money like you could you could you yeah you could basically it was meant to encourage people who were who couldn't afford stock to like pay into stocks because they didn't have an investment minimum a lot of things like now Charles Schwab formerly TD Ameritrade had like minimums you had to put into certain either Roth IRAs or um or investment accounts in order to to, to qualify for it, uh, you know, still in, in the, in the grand scheme, not a lot of money that you have to put in and it's definitely worth the value of it. But for a lot of people in the population of the U S and this is not me faulting that this is just the reality that even that amount is too much, which is totally fair and totally valid. And Robin Hood was trying to make an answer for that. Well, eventually the people of wall street bets, uh, decided that they were going to sell their, uh, their shares, uh, and, or no, no, they were going to, sorry, other way around. Robin Hood very suddenly and randomly, unexpectedly, put a cap on people buying the uh, stock of GameStop. And you could only sell it. You could not buy it further. Um, turns out the reason why this was, was because they had no trading fee, which was part of their pitch. It's like, yeah, we don't charge for trading. We don't charge extra for buying the stock. It's just the value of the stock. Well, because they had no trading fee, they 
It was unclear how they were making the profit. People think they were making it through the ads, but eventually people were buying so much into it that their server space was running out and they could no longer make money to further support further server space. I'm butchering what was actually going on here, but basically they had to decide if they were going to either A, declare bankruptcy or B, or B force people to stop buying uh, GameStop. But mm. they decided, now here's the thing, the ethical thing to do for the company, and this sounds mean, but or this, I don't even want to say mean, this sounds tragic for the company, but genuinely the ethical thing at that point is to declare bankruptcy and say, hey, we fucked up, here's why. We have to declare bankruptcy now. And that would put, put probably a freeze on a number of the accounts for a while, I'm guessing. That would have been the ethical thing to do. But instead, they capped people at buying it, and then there was uh, a Congress, uh, what do you call it? Um... Congressional hearing. Yeah, congressional hearing about it. Because basically they were they were telling people what to do with their money. And that you can't do that, folks. Um, <laughs> so fun so, fact. Um, so uh overall, what what were your what did you think of the movie? Um this was this could have been a movie with if given more time, I saw this. Really? With, hear me out. I saw this with our good friend Jay. I enjoy. You know what? It is a movie. It is a movie. But I saw this with our good friend Jay, and he made a very good point about this. They should have waited for more time to pass, for history to kind of further reveal itself, the significance of this, and to like just let let it breathe, so to speak. You needed to let the event breathe. Not this is not near let me be very clear, not nearly to the degree by any stretch. But like remember when like three movies of September eleventh came out way too quickly? Yeah. To a much, 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 much lesser degree, obviously. This a little bit this had that vibe a little bit. Also, the third act has really weird editing choices and kind of gets all over the place. Because the actual events that happened kind of went all over the place, too. It, like, kind of went crazy for a minute. Mm -hmm. And so the movie's attempt to depict that kind of started to make the movie spiral a bit. Um, And I was just a little unsatisfied with the ending. But overall, a decent movie. Um, Interestingly, the movie actually, like, used... Robin Hood's real name in the movie because technically Robin Hood could have fought that if they really wanted to. I learned why that was. Um, why? And, well, Jay and I learned why that was. And at first we thought it was so weird that this happened and we looked it up and there was a purpose to this. We're in the theater. We sit down and we, right before the movie starts, we see a 30 second ad for Robin Hood. Oh my God. And we're like, that's fucking weird. That's really fucking weird. What? And, but we're like, oh, that's just really shitty timing. Like maybe Robin Hood is trying to preemptively release this to like cover their ass for dumb money. No. Um, in order for the dump, for them to use the name of the company, Robin Hood, Robin, they agreed to put a 30 second ad of Robin Hood before the movie began. Wow. And that okay. left a, that left a bad taste in my mouth. So okay. now let me be clear. Like I said, it is a movie, but it, 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 it's like it's a movie that needed more time. That's what it is. So, so you're definitely saying this is not one of Greg Giuseppe's better outings. It's fine. 
And I love Greg Giuseppe. We love Greg Giuseppe. He's done. He, I Tanya is fantastic. I Tanya's great. Uh, you, we both really, uh, really like Pam and Tommy. Pam and Tommy is amazing. And for the record, all the acting in this movie is great. Like this movie works. You just needed. It was still grape juice and not yet wine. Like it just ah, needed more time. That's a but, that's a great way to put it. But the ad for Robin Hood later learning why that was in there just made me add gave me sour grapes man gave me sour grapes okay all right cool 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 all right next up is uh this is this is a streaming exclusive this is uh the monkey king that came out around august in on netflix Mm -hmm. uh so i i saw it i don't think you've seen it right nope okay so why watch this well, what's the Monkey King about? All right, folks. Let me give you let me give you uh, some background. Uh, what is considered one of the oldest novels in the world, and the most famous novel in all of ancient China, is called Journey to the West. Uh, and you guys might say like Journey to the West. I've never heard of that. It's like yeah, probably not. Um, most people outside of Asia never heard of Journey to the West. But you've heard of you've definitely heard of things of of media that were inspired by Journey to the West. Uh, one little piece of media that you might have heard of was a manga slash anime series called Dragon Ball. Uh, see, have you heard of Dragon Ball? No, Al, I've never heard. Of course, yes, of course, I've heard of Dragon Ball. We went to an actual IMAX screen to see a Dragon Ball movie. That's <laughs> yes, how much yeah. we're nerds. Yes, uh, Jay was, so our friend Jay was there too, for the record. So, Journey to the West is basically what it sounds like. Basically, uh, this monk gathers these three mythical, mythical beings: uh, a monkey, a pig man, and a river river monster to join him in going to the West to learn. Uh, to get like these Buddhist scrolls. That's like the easiest way I can put it, mm-hmm. right? The easiest way I can put it. Um, the and uh, out of those three, out of those four characters, you, you you know like when you read a book when you or when you watch a movie and it's like a, a group a, a group of protagonists. There's always like the one. It's never the main character, but there's always like one side character that's like, oh, that's gonna be the most popular character in the entire franchise. Yeah, you know what I mean. Oh yeah. I mean. I mean, arguably, is isn't wasn't like at one point in time Han Solo and Darth Vader the most popular characters, and they were like effectively side characters to the protagonist, Luke. Yeah. Right. Oh. Yeah. So in this case, in Journey to the West, it was the Monkey King. Uh, his name being uh, uh, Sun Sun Wu Kong. Right. Was was his name, um, the Monkey King, and uh, this this character, he's this trickster character who has a staff. The staff turns into many different sizes. Uh, he has all these abilities. And um, he was the most direct inspiration for Goku. You know, when Goku started off in Dragon Ball, he was this little kid with a staff and a tail. Is that why? Oh, that's why he's a tail. Okay. Exactly, exactly. That's why the Saiyans are all, like, monkey-related. Because, mm-hmm. oh, they're all inspired by the Monkey King. Um. And uh, did you ever see the movie The Forbidden Kingdom with uh, Jackie Chan and Jet Li? I have not, but I know of it. Okay, there's like the Monkey King is in that. Okay. Um, and there's been a bunch of media. Uh, uh, the director of uh, what's his name? Uh, Stephen Stephen Chow directed an adaptation of Journey to the West. 
uh, that had the Monkey King in it. Uh, the Monkey King is pretty much one of the most popular characters in all of Chinese uh, literature. Uh, so, you know, Netflix, I, I, I don't know what it brought about it, but they decided to green light an animated film about the Monkey King. So in Journey to the West, in the original novel, uh, there's introductory chapters of all the characters, right? Right before the, the monk starts gathering up his team to join him, right? And these ba basically establish uh, the background of like, because because basically as he's traveling, he releases like the pig man, the monkey king, and uh, the river spirit from their like from their imprisonments. Uh, you and usually there's an introductory chapter explaining like, oh, how did they get imprisoned? What who did they piss off? And this movie is an adaptation of the monkey king's introductory chapter of who he pissed off. Mm. Uh, so why did I decide to watch this? For one reason and one reason only. And no, it's not because Jimmy Yang, who you guys might remember, he's the he plays the Chinese uh, immigrant uh, guy in uh, in Silicon Valley. Great, great comedian, by the way. His stand up's actually really funny. I did not watch this because of Jimmy O. Yang. I watched this because the director directed. The director was involved in one of my favorite movies recently. And that movie being Open Season with mm. Ashton Kutcher. No, 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 no. He actually did he, did. he did direct Open Season. Did he really? Yeah, but he also directed Box Trolls. Oh. But guess what he wrote? What did he write? He was one of the writers uh, on, uh, on uh, or he was Guillermo del Toro's original writing partner on Pinocchio. Oh, fuck. Okay. And, uh, and obviously, I guess I have to see this movie now. I guess I'm recording. Well, to... well, well. Oh, oh okay. Okay. Oh, uh -oh. oh and uh, and uh, 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 this... Stephanie Stephanie Sue from um, from Everything Everywhere All at Once is also in this movie. Sometimes a blind squirrel finds a nut, and sometimes they don't. Is that what I'm getting at here? Um. What will you right. tell me? Sorry, you tell me. All right. So, the animation is not great. Uh, it was, uh, so Netflix basically teamed up with this Shanghai animation company. Um, basically it was, it was basically, you know how like, like, uh, they, they were basically like the company that kind of was an offshoot of like DreamWorks when they were based out in Asia. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, the, the studio is called Pearl Studio and they, they helped animate this and, and it's not great. Uh, the story is pretty much that introductory chapter in Journey to the West. The Monkey King is this monkey who's basically like, man, I really want to meet the Jade Emperor. I want to meet mm -hmm. the Jade Emperor and be great. So uh, he basically fucks with uh, he fucks with this uh, with this king uh, called the Dragon King. And the Dragon King's like, man, I'm going to fuck this guy up. And, uh, you know, there's a bunch of there's a bunch of shenanigans that happens. Uh, the monkey king ends up opening a portal to hell during one of these things. And uh, he's being helped like with uh, he, he, he kind of has this little girl who's helping him with this, like all these misadventures. Uh, her name is uh, her name is a uh, stick. Uh, but mm -hmm. anyway, so how is the monkey king? Well, he's annoying. He's an he's like like the character. <sighs> Well, yeah, but do you know when someone's, like, being so grating that you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. That's what made this movie such a hard watch for me. Mm. 
I'm like, this, this asshole. And, and nothing on Jimmy Yang. I like Jimmy Yang. Again, like I said, he was very funny in his stand-up. Mm-hmm. But my God, I was like, oh, God. I, I'm, I'm with the Dragon King. Kill this motherfucker. Mm. Like, oh, my God. Um, the effects he does with the staff are pretty cool. Uh, but, you know, like, listen, I, I know this has not been a great year for animation in America. But... With this some notable it. standouts. There's been some notable standouts, but yeah, been no, this two. Ain't, yeah, two. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help the, myself. The, the, this ain't it. This ain't no. it. Um, you know, he, he's he's an annoying little fuck up until like the last five minutes where he's like, "Oh, you know what? Uh, I I hurt this little girl. Like, I should probably uh, I should probably learn to chill." And he he allows himself to be imprisoned. Um, and then you know. Th- and the, folks, if you guys care that I spoil this movie, like this book is centuries old. Yeah. This book is a millennia old. Yeah. Uh, the there's a post credit scene where uh, there's a post credit scene where the Monkey King is freed by uh, by the other characters, and it starts Journey to the West. Gotcha. This movie was a meh. Like, okay. The animation is not great. I mean, this movie is not like a sucks uh, because. It's only like 90 minutes. It's, mm-hmm. it's very short. It's not mm-hmm. that long, but uh, 90 minutes and like 80 of those minutes are like with this annoying monkey character that just won't shut the fuck up. And mm-hmm. I get it. That's the point of the character. But I'm like, I was like, oh, God, why am I watching this? I, I For reasons I'm not going to get into, I couldn't turn it off because someone else was enjoying it. But I was like, oh, God, this this character. Uh, I... Honestly, would say that like if this pops up on your Netflix or like if you have kids and it pops up on their Netflix, don't even bother. Like, that really, even, even if that like, bad. Like, like 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 you'll be away from the television, they'll be watching it, and you'll just be like, "That's an annoying voice." <laughs> and again, nothing on nothing against Jimmy Yang. It's just the uh, voice I, he's doing for it is not. Yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, it's not that great. Uh, I I regretted watching it just Ooh. because I was like. Yeah, but again, like it's short. If this was like even thirty minutes longer, this would be a sucks. Okay, so it's like it ends is the fact that it's a meh. The yeah. fact that it ends quickly. Yeah, it's a meh. Um, if you guys are, it, this ain't winning any Oscars. This ain't even winning any Annies. So yeah, just just leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next up is another animated film. I was about to say, speaking of animation. Yeah, speaking of animation, TMNT. Well, let me, Al, what has been your history of the teenage, so this is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, for the record. Now, Al, what has been your experience or history with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? I was not a hardcore TMNT fan. You were uh, I wasn't. I was okay. not. Um, I, I did have a toy of, it was either Raphael or Michelangelo, like when mm. I was five. Um, and uh, I remember maybe watching once or twice the 80s cartoon. Um, I know I know, I would visit uh, some family friends and like they would like they had like VHSs of the 80s cartoon and sure, whatever. Um, Did you ever watch the movie, I, the original one? I didn't see the original movie probably until like my final years of high school, honestly. Really? Yeah, my wow. you want to you want to know what was my biggest exposure to TMNT? What to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? It was the uh, the two thousand and three cartoon. Okay, I remember yeah. that one too. Yeah, yeah, it, it's the so, one on Cartoon it's so Network. Weird. 
No, the one that was like on Fox Kids. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So the crazy thing about that TV show was that like it was, and I didn't know this at the time, was that it was actually, so it was produced by, of all people, of all companies, for kids entertainment. Which like folks. The, the Yu-Gi-Oh guys? Yeah, the Yu-Gi-Oh guys. Hmm. It was produced by the, the guys who, who were like dubbing the Yu-Gi-Oh anime mm. and were like doing horrible dubs of Shaman King and One Piece. Mm. Like, like folks, four kids entertainment were known to like. Give like, shitty dubs. To give shitty dubs and like cut out like the most innocent things from their from their anime dubs, yep. but they produced they produced uh, 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 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and they, and I know this is shocking, that was far and away the most the most well received thing they ever did because it was as close as they could get it, an actual adaptation of the original comic book line, mm-hmm. as close as they could get it. And uh, and that's what I watched, and I liked it. I thought, oh, this is really well done. And uh, then uh, then after that ended, I, I I really fell out of it. I, I knew there was like a there was a CGI version. Oh, we don't talk was, about that. That was Nickelodeon. Yeah, uh, that was like when Paramount bought the rights. Yeah, and uh, then there was the uh, there was the uh, the mocap versions. Or well, I remember there was like an animated movie that came out in two thousand seven mm-hmm. that one of my best friends really liked because they saw it at the time. They said, "Oh, I really liked it." I never saw it, uh, but I did see the two uh, live action mocap ones that had uh, that had uh, uh, what's that guy's name? Um, the guy from Reacher who played Raphael, oh. Alan Alan Richardson. Richardson. Yes. he played Raphael, and it had a uh, freaking Megan Fox as. Uh, as uh, the, 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 the what, what's the, the girl's journalist, name? the journalist character, um, and and listen, those movies were fine. They were whatever. They happened. Fine. They happened. They were they were there. I guess they came and went. They came and went. Um, so that that's kind of my history with uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. How about you? Um, when I was a little kid, and there, my parents have video evidence of this. I was really in to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles um, as a kid. Like, once I got past, it was weird. It was after, like, the shows you'd watch for little kids, but before I got into, like, the Cartoon Network shows, I was watching, like, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and, like, the reruns that they'd play, like, the 80s reruns shows. Because, you know, they'd play reruns of that stuff all the time. Like, the reruns of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Thundercats, and a little bit of He-Man as well. For, like, a few years, I was watching those reruns. And then I eventually got more into Cartoon Network, and I was stuck with Cartoon Network for many years, happily, of course. But for those few years, I remember there's a video of me at Christmas, and I'm so excited that I got my uh, Donatello action figure, because apparently he was my favorite. Um, And there was, like, a... There was a... He had, like, a gun that shot pizzas or something. I think it was like they were on a truck and the truck shot these pizzas. And that was so cool to me as a kid. Um, I loved that. And I loved the first movie from the 80s. I was really into that as a kid as well. Watched the watched that multiple times. But eventually I grew out of it. But I do have those some of those early memories of really liking it for a little while. And then the stuff after, I remember, I swore I thought it was on Cartoon Network, but maybe not. But the one you're talking about, I watched little bits of here and there at times. It was it was fine, you know. I always thought it took itself a little too seriously, but I, I enjoyed it just fine. 
And then, you know, I've, you know, never really paid attention to it, knew it existed. And now Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or TMNT Mutant Mayhem comes out. And uh, Jay and I actually decided to go see it on a whim because, frankly, we really liked, the, we really, 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 really liked Across the Spider-Verse, first, as you did as well. And figured, why not see the animation done again? Because that was... Wouldn't you that, say, that's, oh, that's That's funny main... you mentioned that because this was not animated by Sony Animation. No, not at all. But like... Th- this that's... was done by uh, the Paramount guys. And it could be argued that... But here's what's funny, though. That's the, been the main critique of this movie is that it's basically mimicking the uh, Spider-Verse movies. First, yeah. The previous one and the newest one. Yeah. Um, and they're not wrong. Let me be clear. They're not wrong. I do think that we're going to start seeing more and more animation movies that emulate that style. It happens, you know, the Matrix come out, comes out and now every action movie has to look like the Matrix for a few years. Now yeah, yeah, yeah. the Spider-Verse, now every animated film that's action or superhero related is going to have to look like that for a few years. Yeah. It's it's I mean annoying, I mean I mean it is what it is. I mean Disney tried to Try to have it both ways, where they tried to do their style, but with the animation no, technology. No, we we yeah, and we're not even. I don't think we're gonna do an episode about Wish. Yeah, no, we're not. We're, not. we're not. We're not. We we saw the trailer and we're like, none of this music's catchy. That's weird. Like, no, that, believe it or not, everyone says that. No, that, that's what that I've heard. The music it. is so unmemorable. But anyway, continue. Anyways, continue. yeah, we're, that's the most you're gonna hear about that movie on this podcast, folks. Um, so, but Jay and I go see this movie, and we're like. I'm not like questioning why I'm enjoying it, but I'm like, man, this is fun. Like, this is really enjoyable. And what it is, is the voice acting of the four leads. They are selling this so well. Um, And I'm like, but why is this so, like, it's not, not only is it just their acting, but the dialogue is amazing. Like, it's really, really good. And then I learned something they did. So Seth Rogen was one of the producers and writers and I think co-director, I could be wrong. Of no, this. no, no. He just he just helped write it. He helped write it. Him, okay. him and Evan Goldberg were like writing it. Okay. It, it was actually directed by the guy who who co-directed the Mitchells versus the Machines, that okay. Sony movie cool. that got sent over to Netflix. And that movie's so much fun. We we love that yeah. movie. Yeah. So but this isn't about that. So actually that makes a lot of sense why this was so much fun too. Okay. So I'm watching this and I'm like, why is this dialogue so amazing? Well, I learned later that, and actually, no, Jay found this out, that they wrote a script and recorded the whole thing, or were starting to record it, but credit to Seth Rogen, he noticed that, like, as the the four voice actors got to know each other more, they'd have conversations, because they actually, in a rare instance, actually kept them all together because they wanted them to talk over each other naturalistically like actual teenagers and and, and humans do. So they were actually like, while they were in separate booths, they were recording all of them in chunks at the same time. It was actually, which is for those of you don't know folks in an animated film, that is incredibly rare, if not unheard of to -hmm. have done. You maybe do that for a segment of a movie. You don't do that for a whole movie. They did almost this whole thing like that. But as they were doing it, they realized, oh, some of like the random things these these guys and they're these these for, for the record, these are not teenagers. They're in their very early twenties or very late teens. Oh no, I think like two of them are actual teenagers and two of them are in their very early twenties. Um, 
but they realize, oh, like the improv they're doing is so good. So then they actually pause like production on this for just a little bit, not long. And like went through and had, did multiple rehearsals and had the actors come up with like naturalistic alternatives for every line that they had. And like, and basically recorded multiple versions of it. And it made the recording process, I think, take over twice as long. But what that did was create a lot of, for the first time ever, you had the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles act and sound like actual teenagers, which had never been fully achieved, as far as I could really remember, in any, in any versions that I had seen. Like, it always sounded like adults trying to be teens. But this act, they actually sound and act like teenagers. Um, and actually, they changed some of the dialogue so much, they had to adjust some of the storyboards that had already been drawn out, too. Not to change the story, but to adjust the, the action that takes so place. So, what did you think of the movie? Sorry, yeah. Because of this, I enjoyed it. Like, this was enjoyable because of this. Um, this, for the record, my review is that this is a fun movie. It's not a flush because at the end of the day, it's, it's just this kid's movie that, you know, is only meant for me so much at this point in my life and at my age. But it was a lot of fun at the end of the day. So this is like if you have cousins, like little cousins, and you have to like watch them for a few hours, put this on and you will like have fun with it too. That's kind of what this is perfect for. Mm. Um yeah, I had a lot can, of fun. Can, with I, it. can can I ask you a question? Because yeah. looking up the the details of this movie, there's one thing that like really shocks me. What? Um, Trent Reznor did the music. Yes, he did. <laughs> yes, he did. What the hell? But How's the music? It's you know it's okay. It's like a relaxed kids version of like the okay. You know how Trent Reznor's been doing like a lot of soundtracks these days yeah so like don't you notice that his music kind of sounds similar in all of it yeah so it's that but like like kind of more relaxed and chill that's the best way i can describe it one last thing before we move on um how how so so ice cube plays the villain he's great he's great he's great he's great he's great he's so he he because ice cube fun facts is a pretty good actor. Like he knows what he's doing. Oh, okay. Um, that's, that's great. That's I great. think he is. And this kind of shows that he like, you can tell like either he, maybe he like, maybe his kids were really into the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles at one point, or maybe he was too. And so he just had fun with it. Um, okay. That, yeah. Good to know. Are, like, let me ask you this before we finally move on. Yeah. Are you like excited for the sequel? Um, I'm not like, I'm not annoyed that there's one coming out. Like, I'm happy okay. that this is, like, a quality kids movie being made because good kids movies lead to good adult movies eventually because they kids kids get raised on good kids movies and make good adult movies or do appreciate you, good do adult Do you movies. see this? Do you th- see this because uh, I, off the top of my head, I can't even – well, actually, yeah. It's uh, it's that Kraken movie from DreamWorks and obviously Wish from, from uh, Disney and Pixar – what was Pixar's movie? Elemental is this year. Yeah. Do you see this winning over? Do you see this being more highly regarded? Did you see Elemental, by the way? No. Oh, okay. Uh, well, 
Um, do you see this like doing well, like critically with like critics and like awards? Uh, short answer is no, but I see this over time really dominating in the streaming world because I think this is going to be one of those kids that generation Z and even Ah. dare I say generation alpha will really love. Now, let me be clear. It's as a millennial, I'm saying this, it's not annoying. It's not annoying like Generation Alpha and Generation Z, but it's definitely one of those movies that like I think their through streaming downloads are going to become more it's going to become more and more popular over time. Like already they, there's been an investment in that generation for this movie. Mm-hmm. All right, next up and yep. see you're still up. Yep. The Creator, Ooh. directed directed by Ooh. How how do I put this? Oh. Gareth Edwards Gareth Edwards VFX is, supervisor Gareth Edwards V- well, yeah, VFX. Like, like, did you ever see his first movie? Monster, yes, or monsters. Yes. Yeah, yes. monsters. Uh, we like the yeah. our our friend, um, uh, Lord, I think that's what ah, we called. That's him. what he called himself, Lord. <laughs> yes, Lord. Lord was the one who told me about monsters. He says you need to watch this. This is amazing. And, and I was like, okay. Once he told and, me he loved monsters, I'm in my I I in my head. And Lord, if you're listening, I say this with love. I went. That makes sense. Um, so 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 what i love i really really liked mom and do you know who like not only was this gareth edwards directorial debut do you know who else debuted in this in monsters yeah who scoot mcnary that was his very very first movie oh jesus i did not i love scoot mcnary i just go on say that out there okay so so gareth edwards does monsters Yep. And uh, Legendary sees it and goes like, well, we found our director for Godzilla. Yeah, literally, <laughs> literally. Literally, that's what they said. Literally, uh, and, that's what know, they said. Godzilla was out. What wasn't without controversy. No, uh, but it was fun. That, that everyone's still really pissed that Godzilla really doesn't show up until the third act. Yeah. Uh, I'm still a little salty about that. Yeah. But then right after Godzilla, he Ooh, gets boy. roped up into. Ooh, we get we, something amazing. Tell him what it is. Rogue One. Ooh. Ooh. Which is arguably the best of the movies for the new Star Wars era. Now, now here's here's the thing about Gareth Edwards, and yes. um, so you know a lot of behind the scenes drama came out about Rogue One that you know uh, the, the movie wasn't testing well or wasn't testing well internally, and pretty much after principal product after principal photography, uh, Gareth Edwards kind of left the project because he was kind of sick and tired of Lucasfilm's bullshit. And Tony Gilroy basically took over rewriting the whole third act and shooting the additional photography for that third act. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it kind of goes without saying that Tony Gilroy has kind of been the architect of kind of that corner of the of the Star Wars world. I mean, he's kind of the true. showrunner for Andor now. So that kind of mm-hmm. shows you that Rogue He's the one, one that maybe saved it. Yeah, that Rogue One is kind of more his baby than Gareth Edwards' baby. And with all due respect to Gareth Edwards. But it, it it's kind of interesting that he was pretty much touted as kind of the new Hollywood auteur. Yeah. And he was really hasn't done anything since. He waited a long time. Yeah, waited a really, really long time. And uh, now finally comes out with something that he co-wrote with uh, the original writer for uh, – Rogue One, and that was uh, Chris White's. And mm-hmm. folks, for those who don't know who Chris White's is, him and his brother directed like the first. I, I definitely know they directed the first uh, American Pie movie. Mm. I, I, I know everyone's like, oh, American Pie. And uh, 
It's but a he, fine movie. But but then uh, he did About a Boy with Hugh Grant. Um, mm. He directed a Twilight movie. Very uh, good movie. Very yeah. good. Very good um, direct writer. Yeah. So Chris White's. So Chris White's. Gareth Edwards write the creator, and uh, this kind of. I don't feel like it didn't come out of nowhere, but it, it it was like when the trailer came out and everyone was like, "Oh, Gareth Edwards made a new movie." So, and, and it's an original, an original pro- IP. Yeah, it was an original, original IP. IP. So, is Gareth Edwards reestablishing himself as the new like talent in Hollywood, or is he kind of? Or is now well, everyone kind of going like? Oh, I, I guess you're kind of more of like an elevated journeyman. Well, what's well, the verdict? See, let let's talk about this for a sec. Sure. Um, so I was really, and I mean, really excited for the creator. Like I was pumped. I was ready for it. I was like, yeah, let's see Vietnam's with Vietnam War with robots. I'm ready for it. Like that's what this was to me, and I was I was I was pumped. Then I start hearing the reviews, and we all know that it wasn't being looked at so favorably. The movie so stars said, John David Washington, Denzel Washington's son, by the way. I should also yes add it, that. Yes, it does. Um, so, okay. Here's, here's what I'll say. Visually and aesthetically, I fucking loved it. Okay? The world this built was so cool-looking, so interesting-looking, and so... I don't want to say original because at the end of the day, there's definitely some Blade Runner coding here going on. Let's be clear. But still, visually, it was very interesting. Um, but story-wise, it felt like there was a lot missing. And I'm like, why is this? Why is this so... Like, something's not right here. Something feels very... It, the whole thing felt off as I was watching it. And then I learn that originally there was a four-hour cut of this. What? Yes. There was a four-hour cut of this, and there's a rumor, and this is a vague rumor, that apparently Gareth Edwards was really trying to push a part one, part two situation, but that's only a rumor. We don't know if that's actually true or not. But the original cut was four hours. Now, here's the thing. When this was released, it was like literally on the line two hours long, I think. Like, on the line, two hours long. So that's half of this fucking movie you've cut out. There's no way. There's no way you've, like, kept certain story beats intact or, like, well-developed at that point. Because this movie is awkward as hell and just feels very redundant. But visually is amazing. And at the same time, though... This movie, like, touches on and grazes past really interesting ideas about, like, identity and uh, the, and humanity, but just, like, glosses over it. So, so it's, a, it's basically a Matrix situation, a, a no, Terminator it's a situation? Blade Runner, it's a Blade Runner situation where they cut shit out, but or a Matrix no, no, situation. No, 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 I, I mean story-wise, where it's story-wise, like, yeah. where, where it's like... Humans are fighting robots. The yes, robots here yes. just happen to have human faces or something. So that's, and so, okay. So this is what's interesting about that. Um, can I spoil a little bit of this? Do you care? Is, is it like care? a big, big spoiler about the movie? It's a world building spoiler. Ah, that's fine. Setup. That's fine. So the world is kind of, think Cold War. It's, it's like a new Cold War. The world is divided up into two sectors. But let's just say the East and the West. Let's just call it that. Okay. 
a lot of Asian countries and a lot of European and North America, South America countries. Mm-hmm. And the Asian countries are accepting of artificial intelligence. They welcome AI. They believe that AI are part of the future. And then the, the West is against AI, basically. So, but it's like this Cold War stance on it. Um, because there was basically this, uh, one of the AIs dropped a nuke uh, in, uh, in Los Angeles, annihilated the city. And ever since then, it's been, a, it's been an, an on-again, off-again Cold War problem with them. Um, very difficult situation that they've been dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the, let's just say the East, that is more accepting of robots. One thing that's happened is to better integrate the robots into society, you can donate your likeness to these places that will then like graft human faces and human skin like make you make the look robots look more human but the robots okay? are not the humans they're they're their own thing they're not like they're their own thi- no they're, they're not, not like robots. humans they're, who are turned into robots no 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 they're full robots okay they're robots in every way they're not humans in any way but you can like donate your likeness um uh, and then you'll they'll have these human faces if they want to have them so that's what's interesting is you start seeing a lot of robots with like five different five of the same faces over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And one of the repeating faces is the dead wife of the lead, which is really interesting. Interesting. Because like he he keeps seeing her, but it's because she donated her face mm. over and over and over and over and over and over again. So like you he keeps like there's this moment that they graze on, but you can tell it's much bigger. Where he's like, because she dies, basically. Mm-hmm. She dies, um, and it's kind of robot's fault. Um, mm-hmm. And, like, he starts, like, missing her and keeps running after her, but it's a robot. Um, but it's interesting concepts like that of the face donation. And then there's this whole element of where when you die, everyone has a little bit of technology in them. Mm-hmm. And they have the ability to when you're dead they can up anyone's con like ghost in the shell which for those of you who haven't seen ghost in the mm-hmm. shell go see it if you join the military you agree to have a backup chip of your conscience of your consciousness and so if you die the military has an ability to take that chip and upload it into anything they want or any machine they want mm-hmm. and they get five minutes of your consciousness mm-hmm. back so they can ask you questions and they can interrogate you um, which again, really interesting concept that they don't really play into. They just use it as this weird tool. Mm-hmm. But like, there's a really cool scene where one of these soldiers dies and they bring him back and he wakes up screaming because the grenade went off and he was in the middle of screaming. So he wakes up, he's like, ah, and then he's like, he thinks he's alive and they have to explain to him he's dead. But while he's like going through the catharsis that he's not real and he's not alive, mm-hmm. they're trying to get information from him before he like codes off, I think was the word. And I'm like, I, in my head, I'm like, that's so fucking cool. Play on that more. But they don't. All they do is that there's this special child who's like a, a, a human EMP device that like everyone's fighting for to get control of because whoever has her will win the war. Mm-hmm. Um, and I won't spoil the ending. I won't tell you what happens there. But it's just like this movie had so much potential, but 
was so I blame producers for slashing it up and ruining it, uh, and and ending up making it so weirdly paced and just very very off the whole time. The last thing, so I give this a a begrudging meh. Mm-hmm. A I wish I couldn't, but I, I I can't. I will say this for the movie's budget alone for how small it was this needs to get an oscar for best visual effects because they spent way less money than most marvel movies do on effects and it looks way the fuck better Mm -hmm. so this should get a nomination for best vfx simply acknowledging that fact Mm -hmm. that's all i'll say okay uh one final thing i'll Mm -hmm. ask and it'll be uh would you be willing to watch a four-hour cut of this if it's broken up into two parts, yes, I would. Okay, cool, cool, cool. All right, so um, now on to more streaming stuff. Uh, so, see, you you know that, like, when the holidays start, like, that's when streaming services like Netflix and Hulu and stuff, they start releasing, like, season seasonal-appropriate movies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, the streaming services always release horror movies in October, or right around October. Mm-hmm. And uh, the movie I'm about to give my review on was one of those movies. Uh, this was a this was Hulu's offering for Halloween, science fiction horror movie. No one will save you. Uh, directed by Brian Duffield, starring Caitlin Dever, who she was like one of the daughters in uh, Last Man Standing, uh, but she really blew up. Uh, she was in uh, she was in um, what was that movie called? Uh, Booksmart. She was in Booksmart. Oh, I know who you're talking yeah, about. She, yeah. yeah, she was one of the co-leads in Booksmart. And uh, she was also in Dope Sick. Mm, really, really, really good movie. That's or an amazing mini show. Series. Yeah, miniseries. Miniseries. Yeah. It, well, it felt like a movie. It's really good, folks. But she was always Check like, she was never, she was always like the, like in Booksmart, she's the co-lead. And in Dope Sick, she's like, what, she's like part of an ensemble cast. I've heard her called Discount Cheyenne Woodley, which is mean, but I've heard that term of a couple of times. I mean, she's. I would say she's more talented than Shailene. No, I'm but. agreeing, but in the sense of like who's more famous. Yeah, at and, the and oh, she's also in Justified. I remember we had a friend who was like, "Oh, she's also Justified," and we're like, "Okay, oh, great." Cool. Uh, okay. But no one will save you. Basically, how do I put this? It's 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 an alien horror movie, right? And it has a selling point. There is only five words of dialogue throughout the entire movie. And oh. this is like Kaylin Denver's first like leading role in a movie, I guess. She she's gonna be the bad. She's gonna play Abby in uh, the new in Last of Us season two. By the way, just letting y'all know. So oh cool. She, she's 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 gonna get swole AF later on. Mm-hmm. Um, this was produced by uh, 20th Century Studios, and what 20th Century Studios is basically doing now is that they just dumped like their small budgeted stuff on Hulu now. Um. So, so basically, this movie's about this young woman. She lives alone. Her, her her mother has died some years ago and left her the house. She lives in, like, this rural area, uh, like this small town. She's kind of an outcast because she's kind of an outcast because something happened with her and her best friend that caused her best friend to, to die. Uh, and uh, this movie takes place in, in the time frame of a couple days where aliens start showing up in the small town. And that's really all I can really say because there's a big twist in the movie that the trailers don't hint at at all. All uh-huh. you get in the trailers 
is that there is no dialogue and aliens are trying to abduct her. Okay. And I'll, and I'll leave it at that. So I'm watching this movie and how quickly does the twist happen? Is it at the end or in the Well, this the movie's middle? not that long. It's only 90 minutes. The twist okay. happens at the beginning, at the middle of the second act. So okay. like halfway through the movie. Gotcha. Um, but here's the thing. Without getting into a lot of without getting into spoilers. Mm-hmm. The twist I thought was a little silly. It, well, let me let me go back more. I understand when movies don't want to have dialogue because they're trying to stand out. They're trying to stand out with their filmmaking. They're like, oh, why why have why have dialogue? It's just that you, you get into a situation where they're like, well, she doesn't talk. Nobody talks to her and she doesn't talk to herself. So why would there be any dialogue? And you're like, literally, there are times where she's like where a normal person would just say, hey, how are you doing? And she just kind of nods and waves. And you're like, well, we know you're not mute. Because you mm-hmm. make it a point to say you're not mute. But mm-hmm. anyway, so sometimes the and, and then later on, the, the 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 not talking thing just strains the imagination because the twist just makes it even more ridiculous. But anyway, whatever. Uh, into the 10 minute mark is when we we get the aliens start showing up. And there's a sequence where an alien is basically in her property mm-hmm. where i was like holy i was like tense i was so tense i was like oh my god oh because this was like brian duffield saw uh signs and was like you could have made that even you could have made that a master class of tension and it like he like he goes further than what m night Shyamalan did and I was mm. like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And Caitlin Denver is selling it. Like, this is where you're like, well, obviously, there's not going to be any dialogue. She's trying not to get abducted. And it was so well done. I was, like, really into it. I was, like, about to text all my friends and be like, guys, you need to see this movie. Like, oh, my God, this is incredible. Um, And then, you know, that sequence reaches its conclusion. Uh, We start the second act. And I'm like, okay, like, that was a big big high what else you got for me movie and then the movie reveals the twist and i'm like oh okay i guess all right and it basically turns into a no dialogue spoken version of another famous alien movie oh. i'm not gonna say what Oh, okay. I'm not going to say what because just by saying the name of the movie, people are going to be like, well, that's the twist. I'll put it to you this way. There are are, uh, three versions, three versions of this this movie I'm referencing. And one of them stars a very well-known British actor. We know. Okay, gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And then I'm like, okay, so why is there no dialogue then? And um, then, you know, the movie tries to wrap it up and the way it wraps it up is very dumb. And like the the trailers of the movie sell it like that first sequence. Girl, Mm -hmm. girl does not talk because she does not want the alien to find her. And you think that's going to be the whole movie. You're like, well, this is a 90 minute long movie. This is this is going to be really tense. And then once all that ends and you're left with like, the rest of the movie, you're like, oh, okay, I guess. 
whatever. And listen, I have nothing against Caitlin Dever. She she's obviously like she knows this is like her shot to be a leading actress. And okay, kudos to you, girl. You you got you got Abby in The Last of Us. Yeah, you're, you're gonna be a very very well respected villain. Yeah, but um, but yeah, no, like <sighs> this movie is a sucks just because. Damn. Okay. Just because you feel so let down mm. after after that first uh after that first like hour hour and 15 minutes you you feel so let down you're like what oh come on like to the point that you're like why why would you why would you do this to this movie why would you do that like 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 i don't know how someone didn't read it and go like you know what this first half is amazing this second mm-hmm. half is like why just rewrite everything to kind of follow the format of the first half but you know i don't make the rules what can you do and listen uh, brian duffield he'll probably come out with something else later on down the line this is one of those movies where like the direct because he, he he's made one other movie before uh spontaneous movie. yeah that's like the the exploding head one right yeah apparently it's funny like yeah kind and of like funny. like basically he, he has that he has a like prototypical uh, Hollywood career, a writer on a bunch of stuff, uh, then and then starting to direct a few things. Then started to direct a few things, like uh, he helped write Love and Monsters. Uh, he uh, he uh, he wrote like the animated an animated King Kong TV show. Uh, mm-hmm. So so this uh, so this will probably be like that movie where he's like, see guys, I can, I can direct genre. So he'll probably be directing like the Brian Deffield will probably be like that guy that ends up directing like a, like a mid tier MCU movie. If, mm-hmm. if, if things follow their path. So, yeah. uh, so with that horror movie down, see, uh, exorcist, the believer, uh, directed by, uh, a guy who has, Really, and I'm really like disappointed me. He's uh, got you no. Know, he's had extreme highs and lows. <laughs> that that's saying something. Um, in the same franchise. Yeah, um, in the same franchise. And okay, w- can I just say? Let me get this part out of the way. It sucks. It's not scary. Don't see it. That's the Exorcist believer. Let's just get that part out of the way. Okay, <laughs> I said it. All right. It sucks. It's not scary. Don't see it. Okay, we're, we're talking now, about. Said that. We're talking about David Gordon Green's uh, The Exorcist of the Believer. It sucks. Uh, it's not scary. Don't see it. You guys know him as the director of Pineapple Express. Uh, then he ended up directing what I thought was a great, great entry into the franchise. 2018's uh, Halloween. And it was, is. It's amazing. It was really, really good. And then the pandemic happened. And I don't know what happened in the pandemic where he released two really big stinkers. Halloween Kills and the and a movie we reviewed and made fun of. And really? Halloween dead ends. Yeah, Halloween dead ends. And uh, then, you know, like, sorry. like sorry. I, wasn't it like maybe months? He also, like, for the record, on a cinephile note, he directed a film called George Washington, which is critically praised. He also created, he directed uh, Joe, was it called? Yeah, Joe with Nick Cage. And, um, and that's very good, too. And um, I always get these two guys mixed up. Uh, it was Joe and, uh, and, uh, uh, who was who the kid actor? Ty Sheridan. I always get yeah. Ty, Ty Sheridan mixed up with the guy who was in uh, in uh, Love, uh, Love. Uh, what was that movie with uh, with the kid from the older brother in Jurassic World? I always get those two actors mixed up. 
Oh, okay. They look similar. Yeah. Well, anyway, anyway. So a month after, like a month or two after uh, Halloween Ends comes out, we hear that David Gordon Green is going to be directing an, some Exorcist uh, entries, which follow kind of the same formula of what the Halloween. The Believer, The Deceiver, and something else. Yeah, basically. So basically the Halloween trilogy, trilogy that he directed were all distant sequels to the original Halloween. And it was he was going to follow that same idea. His Exorcist movies were going to be... Uh, 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 like distant sequels to the original Exorcist, so it's not scary. Don't see it. Can you just elaborate for like a minute? Like, no, of why? course. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Danny McBride helped write this too, by the way. Okay. Um. So this movie. Okay. So, it's really riding on the coattails of. The original movie, which, by the way, I rewatched the original movie in preparation for this, because uh, the trailer, for the record, the trailer for this movie is awesome. It's really good. That black and white bit at the end where everything's flashing like crazy. I'm like, okay, all right, this is. I'm down for this. But what this ends up being is just a weird, creepy mood, kind of creepy for a little bit but then completely stops being even creepy movie about these two little girls that go missing uh, one day after school. Um, um, and one of them is raised by a single dad played. Oh, what's that actor's name? He's he was actually very good in this. Um, uh, oh, damn. Um, Leslie Odom oh, Jr. Yes. Yes. He was, he, 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 he did a good job of Hamilton um, fame. Yes, of Hamilton fame. He was also in um, what's many saints in Newark. Yes, that's what it was. And one night in Miami. Yeah, he played. Okay, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think I was wrong about that. He was also in One Night in Miami. So, very good actor. Plays a single dad, um, and the other girl has like um, mother, father, and multiple siblings. So. They go missing. They suddenly reappear after like multiple days. They start acting weird and all possessed and crazy and wild. And they start to suspect that maybe some demons are afloat. Or more specifically, the movie makes the very bold claim that it is the same demon from the first movie. Like, which granted, that's what all the movies have been trying to suggest that it's Yeah, Pazuzu, right? Pazuzu, which is a weird name, but <clears throat> it's, yeah. Pazuzu has been like coming back over and over again, uh, trying to attack anyone who's had any connection to the original exorcism um, in one way or another. Now, this movie actually brings back the original actress who played the mom. Ellen Burstyn? Ellen Burstyn or Burstyn, yeah. Who, for the record, is a fantastic actress. Guys, if you want your soul ripped out of your body emotionally Watch her performance in uh, um, Requiem for a Dream. Requiem for a Dream. Yeah, that will fuck you up in an intense way. But also, she's also she's also an Alice doesn't live here anymore. She's she's in a lot of amazing things. She plays the mom in Pieces of a Woman and has a great monologue in that. She's very talented. Really knows what she's doing. But yes, she played the mom in the original Exorcist as well. Also very talented in that as well. Isn't Linda, the, isn't Linda Blair in this too? I was, yes, but can, I'll just say they stuff her in like the actual last scene of the movie. Oh, fuck basically. that. Fuck yeah, that. right, right. 
they like stuff her at the very end. So basically what this movie decides to do is that they decide to bring in all forms of faith into this. And they're like, exorcism is in every culture and every belief system uh, around the world. So let's bring in all these different types of beliefs and let's just do a, uh, a multi-faith exorcism on these two girls. Like I said, the main problem, and th- there's a, there's a quote unquote twist in it, but it's not really, it's more like just desperately trying to set up for a sequel that we know isn't coming. There's no way. Um, so this movie though, I can't emphasize enough is somehow with coming from the exorcist, which even though we acknowledge that the French, the sequels to the exorcist aren't as of quality. People acknowledge though, for example, that the exorcist three has one of the greatest jump scares ever made like ever. Al, do you know what I'm talking about? I, I literally saw The Exorcist 3 uh, for Hall- like for the Halloween season in October. So, Great movie. you know, with the nurse that yeah. just runs with the knife? Yeah. That's terrifying. Like, that still is, like, horrifying. Yeah. So, point is, The Exorcist franchise has moment. Like, it's obviously the sequels aren't good as the original, but the sequels I would do say, have... I would say 3 is as good as the original, because that one was directed by the writer. Uh, Will, uh, what's the name? The, the writer of the book, yes. Yeah, Wi- William Blatty? Yes. Yeah. So, I would say it's very close. I, I, I agree it's one of the better... It's 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 not like a Terminator 2 situation where it's better, but it's very, very good. So, would um, you say this is a, a sucks or a meh? This... Or is this a fucking sucks? No, no, no. It's not a fucking sucks. It's just a suck. Guys, it just sucks, okay? It just sucks. (laughs) Okay. Don't worry. And here's the thing. What it is, the beginning of it is actually... Like, it's building the proper... What makes me mad is it builds the suspense in a really cool way. Like, you're building it, you're building it, you're getting ready for it, you're excited about it. The girls disappear, and you're like, oh, God, here it comes. And then they come back, and it's just weird and gross. Mm-hmm. And it's not scary. Okay. And I'm like, well, fuck you. Okay. And then there's this weird quote-unquote twist that isn't actually a twist. And you're like, what? So I have to wait two more movies before any resolution? All right, fine. I can just go fuck myself. Thanks. So, yeah, this sucks. It's not scary. Don't see it. Okay. So, uh, the the film I saw, th- this film has an interesting history. Uh, so, this was, this was like, Sony's way of, like, making, like, making their own dope sick. Uh, Sony basically acquired the rights to an article written by... Uh, written by Evan Hughes called Pain Hustlers that talked about this pharma company that basically did a lot of illegal shit to basically get uh, cancer patients and then like just regular pain patients on freaking fentanyl, right? Mm-hmm. The, the article itself is it really, really interesting. Yeah, it's called Pain Hustlers by Evan Hughes. I think he, he had the article come out on uh, the New York Times Magazine, I believe. It was like in 2018 okay. or something. So look at it. It's a good read. It's a good read. Uh, but... Uh, Sony, Sony's going through this weird thing where like, if they just don't want to do a theatrical release anymore, they just sell it to like Netflix. And mm-hmm. that's pretty much what happened. Uh, Sony like helped produce this. 
Uh, and I mean, then, that's what 20th Century Fox is doing with Hulu. So yeah, they all uh, they they released it in the Toronto Film Festival, and then they were like, you know what, we don't really don't want to do a theatrical release, and like everything, they sold it to Netflix. I think I think basically Sony now just gives everything to Netflix because Netflix like gives them money under the table, or like or like I don't know, maybe buys all their PlayStations. I have no idea. It's just so weird <laughs> to me. It's just so weird to me that Sony like goes like. We're not going to make our own streaming service. We just sell everything to Netflix. But hey, listen, you you do you. Sure. See, do you know what is so crazy about this movie? What? Who do you know who directed this? I have no clue. David Yates. Folks, if you don't know who David Yates what? is, what? He's basically been the the filmmaking architect of all the Harry Potter movies since uh Half-Blood Prince. He's directed wow. Half-Blood Prince, Order of the Phoenix, Deathly Hallows Part 1 and 2. He directed all the Fantastic uh, Beast movies. Uh, so this, oh, okay, so. David okay. David Yates has only directed one non-Harry Potter movie in his entire career. And that was and the, it's this? It was oh, at, well, actually the 2016 version of, of, of uh, Tarzan with, uh, oh, with, uh, okay. with Alexander Skarsgård, I think. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and uh, Margot Robbie. Mm-hmm. But it's basically, he got his career in television. He was doing a lot of BBC uh, uh, TV shows. Uh, uh, David Heyman, because David Heyman's the producer on Harry Potter, hires him to do uh, Half-Blood Prince, and he's been the director of all of them ever since. And he's never directed anything else except that Tarzan movie for Warner Brothers. I don't know why or how that he got attached to this. And that's why I wanted to watch it, because like we reviewed... Uh, uh, the the last Fantastic Beast movie that came out, we both agreed this sucked, and that David yeah. Yates is not a particularly good director. His his blues are just too blue, and I was like, well, I I, I gotta see this because this is a guy basically making a movie about like th- this is like as opposite as you can get from from Harry Potter. So what is Pain Hustlers about? Well, it basically tells the story of of Emily Blunt's character Liza. She's basically uh she's basically uh this poor, poor woman in the South, uh, got divorced. Her husband kept their small business and she's like stuck being a stripper. Uh, she, she strips for, uh, for, uh, Chris Evans character. And Chris Evans is like, she, she gives him like good, like financial advice. And Chris Evans is like, Hey, you know what? You have the ability to make, be making six figures. And she thinks like, He's offer he's like offering her money to have sex with him, but he's actually offering her a position in his farm in the pharma company that he's in to sell drugs to be a pharma rep. She goes, uh, she goes, she applies. Uh, uh, the the Chris Evans is like, we're actually not hiring. They're like a startup that's not doing really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he writes PhD on her resume and shows it to the big boss of the company, Andy Garcia, played by Andy Garcia, and she gets hired. Mm. Um, Catherine O'Hara plays Emily Blunt's mom. So Emily Blunt, because she's so desperate to to have like a real job to afford like a decent life for her and her daughter, mm-hmm. uh, basically starts going around all of Florida because, of course, it has to be Florida. No, it's going to be Florida. Because, folks, be Florida. for those that don't know, Florida actually has really, really sh- – well, at the time had really, really shitty regulation on pain medication. 
like, crazy. Like, yeah. like, 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 watch Dope Sick. By the way, it, Dope, Dope Sick <laughs> is significantly better than this. Yeah. Uh, if you watch Dope Sick to find out like how Florida was really fucking crazy in its deregulation of pain medicine of opioids. Um, well, it was where but, the the concept of like the the stop and shop for doctors' offices came from. Yeah. Uh, she meets, so basically she's so desperate at, uh, she finally is able to, so folks, what farmer reps have to do is that they basically go to doctor's offices and pretty much legally bribe doctors to start prescribing the medicines that their company makes. And in this case, she finds a pain doctor played by Brian D.R.C. James. If you guys don't know who he is, he's like really, really, really big in Broadway. He played Shrek in Shrek the Musical. That should just Mm. tell you. Uh, and uh, he was also in 13 Reasons Why. And she basically is able by some miracle to get him to prescribe the medicine her company makes to a patient of his. Um, And uh, it works. And then she starts she starts doing really well. And because of her and because Chris Evans believes in her, they basically turn the startup into a big company and they're able to go public. Uh, obviously, you, folks, if you've seen one of these movies, you've seen them all. There's these company movies that are like doing dubious shit and then have a downfall. Um, I would say that what makes this worth watching is that the performances are good. The performances are are, are good. Emily Blunt is not phoning it in. Chris Evans is not phoning it in, weirdly enough. Catherine O'Hara is funny as, uh, as Emily Blunt's mom. And uh, there's like something like there's something interesting for a movie fan to watch something from a filmmaker that they wrote off and be like, Oh, you can do something different. He's basically doing the Florida man version of Martin Scorsese. But the fact Mm -hmm. that David Yates actually can use colors other than blue and green (laughs) is incredible. Um, yeah. Will this, is this movie going to blow your socks off? No. Again, dope sick is a much better version of what this is. I would say, though, that if you're an Emily Blunt fan, if you are... Uh, oh, by the way, even though she plays a stripper, she doesn't get naked, so don't bother if that's going to be the reason you want to watch this. Uh, Chris Evans is, you know, showing that he can act. He actually does... A, he has a, he actually has a very good uh, moment where he breaks down, and it works really well. By the way, the chemistry between him and Emily Blunt's great. It's, it's really well done. Um, it's that chemistry of a guy who's like, man, I really want to fuck you. But I know you don't want that, and I respect that. Mm. Uh, so it's it's pretty fun. Um, but again, if you've seen these one of these movies, you've seen them all, where it's like, oh, this company does some dubious shit, and it has a really epic downfall. Uh, I would give this. This is a. This is a. And I know this sounds really weird to say. This is a breezy movie. It's about a really, really like ugly subject matter. But it was a breeze to watch. I did not regret watching it. It's it's that Netflix movie I would recommend people to go see. It's like, oh, yeah, that's fun. And I would tell people who were like wrote off David Yates and like, oh, God, he's like one of the worst blockbuster filmmakers ever. It's like, yeah, he might be a really bad blockbuster filmmaker, but he does a pretty OK imitation of Martin Scorsese because that's what this is. This is David Yates being like, I want to do Martin Scorsese. And he, he does a pretty good job at it. He adds a Florida flair to it that works. And it was impressive because I genuinely wrote him off as like this guy. Like I won't watch anything by this guy. But it looks like you, – you know what actually? See, let me put it to you this. Let me put it this way. David Yates knows how to make a Craig Giuseppe movie. <laughs> that's the okay. best way to put it. Yeah, that's the okay. best way to put it. And um, and I, I know I, – I, so 
if you read the article, they're very upfront about it, but the movie plays it as a twist. Um, the medicine they use, they just say it's pain medicine. It's pain medicine that works faster. The twist is, mm-hmm. the twist is, is that it's fentanyl. Like, like literally they're, they're <laughs> literal fentanyl. No, there's yeah. literally a point where like, they, like a, like a fed goes up to her and is like, did you guys know what this really was? And she was like, I, I didn't really think about it. And then like a doctor goes like, yeah, this is fentanyl. <laughs> that, that, so that's like the big twist when you're like, holy shit, it's fentanyl. Um, but you know, I mean, if Oops. you, you know, like this is a very famous like case that happened in 2018 where it's like, yeah, there was fentanyl that was, that was only exclusively used for dying cancer patients who were in pain. And then this company was like, you can prescribe it for any type of pain. And knee pain, headaches, whatever. <laughs> it's so good. You'll come back for seconds. Exactly, exactly. Mm. But but yeah, it's one of those movies that I'd say like, yeah, give it a watch. Give it a watch. It's but, fun. But you are saying that Dope Sick covers it better. Oh, by, by far. By far. Yeah. It covers it better and it doesn't, you know, it's... I, I, I think do they go into the Sackler family at all? Uh, no, 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 no. This was this was a small pharma startup where uh. Andy Garcia's character is a doctor who basically mm-hmm. was like, "Hey, let me make fentanyl that you kind of inhale through your mouth." Mm. And he was he was trying to get doctors to prescribe it to dying cancer patients to make money. Mm-hmm. And then when when he was starting to make money, he kind of went crazy about it. Like, mm-hmm. like, but, but it's, it's a fun watch. It's a really fun watch. And Emily Blunt, Chris Evans, Catherine O'Hara, Andy Garcia, they're all really, really good in it. Like, but, but it's not a movie that like, you're going to remember like after a month, you'll be, you'll mm-hmm. see it on Netflix. You'll say, I liked it. Not that I loved it. All right. So, uh, speaking of streaming services, picking up studios, projects that they just want to forget about. Oh, that's a horrible way to say it. So Hulu's quiz lady. Uh, again, uh, basically produced by 20th Century Studios, probably did not have a big budget. I would be surprised if this cost more than 15 million to make. And you know, this was produced by uh, Will Ferrell's Gloria Sanchez production. Mm-hmm. So Will Ferrell had a production assistant who basically one time admitted to him, like, I I really like I I love working with you, but. The movies you and Adam McKay produce are not the type of movies I would watch. And Will Ferrell really respected his production assistant and said, well, what a – this is Jessica Elbaum, by the way. Mm-hmm. And she, he goes like, well, how about we do this? You and me, we, 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 we create a production company and you like greenlight – projects and that ended up being Gloria Sanchez productions. Mm. Uh the the one at, between Adam McKay and Will Ferrell, it's Gary Sanchez mm. and then Gloria Sanchez is Will Ferrell and Jessica Elbaum. Gotcha. And they were the ones who produced Book Smart, they produced Hustlers, uh Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar. Oh, okay. They basically basically uh all these movies exist because of Jessica Elbaum. Okay. Very cool. Um yeah, they she she also helped produce Theater Camp. We'll get to uh, that. Which we'll, well, which we'll get to that, and uh, also produced, uh, also produced uh, the Christmas movie Spirited, which I, I know, interesting. Sure. Um, but but Quiz Lady is the is the thing she worked on this year. So what's Quiz Lady about? Basically, it tells the story of these two Asian American sisters. The older sisters played by Sandra Oh, the younger sisters played by Aquafina, 
And this is this movie basically exists because Will Ferrell was like, I want to do a straight version of my, and by straight I mean like not like parody version of his um, of his. Uh, oh God, what's the guy from uh, Jeopardy? Uh, Alex uh, Trebek. Greg, yeah. Basically, basically, uh, he he basically I think, went up. Isn't to that Jessica. why you figured out like why he's doing this? Like, well, no, like, no, no. Basically, he went up to Jessica Alba and was like, "Produce a movie where I can do my Alex Trebek, but not like in an SNL skit setting." And this is what we get. Uh, the film is directed by Jessica Yu, who is best known for winning an Oscar for best documentary, best short documentary in 1996 for Breathing Lessons. Huh. Uh, she also directed. Uh, she also directed a bunch of other films. Uh, she directed uh, uh, mostly documentaries. Uh, hey, uh, it's important. You, you know what she directed? That like you're like what? She, her first feature was called Ping Pong Playa. You ever heard of that one? No. It's it's it's. Think of think of of. How do I put this? Uh, think of. Uh, what, what, what was that movie? What was that George Clooney football movie called? Oh, uh, Leather. The Leatherheads. Yeah. I think Leatherheads, but for ping pong with a bunch of Asians. Okay. With an Asian cast. Okay. <laughs> sure. Um, so, yeah. So, this is that's kind of the movie Jessica Yu's known for. Mostly documentaries, and she won an Oscar for a short documentary. Um, so, this, this movie is basically a take on... Uh, it's like an homage to Jeopardy, but they obviously don't call it Jeopardy. They call the they call the the they call uh, the the show here uh, uh, can't stop the quiz, and it's basically you know it's basically a love letter to quiz shows, and it's also like this type of of odd couple type movie. Sandra Oh plays the extroverted, crazy older sister who dresses like age inappropriate like she's 40 she's in her 40s but she still dresses like she's 18 aquafina plays like the the uptight like almost almost autistic they, they don't say she's autistic but she she has like she's autistic, coded uh, coded that way. she's coded as autistic uh you know she doesn't she doesn't like when people look at her she she has this routine that if the routine is broken she freaks out uh she's like really really attached to her uh, pug, which is technically Sandra O's pug, but Sandra O abandoned the pug to, to Aquafina to mm. go beyond the real world. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's kind of funny. Um, so yeah, she's coded as autistic. She like so so basically, uh, both both characters have uh, both characters have like uh, 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 childhood traumas. Uh, their dad died, and their mom is like this gambling addict who like. Who like pretty much didn't raise them, so uh, Sandro became a fuck up, and uh, Aquafina became super super withdrawn and asocial. Mm. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of where we find themselves. Uh, turns out their mom ran away with a boyfriend to Macau, and she left behind like an eighty thousand dollar debt with these uh, with, with these triads <laughs> sharks. Okay. And the and the the triads basically kidnap the pug and say, uh, he, he, "This actually was really funny." Instead of saying, "If you don't give us the money, we're going to kill your dog," they say, "If you don't give us the money, we're gonna we're gonna give your dog such a good time here that your dog will hate going back to you." Yeah, <laughs> that is funny. 
Yeah. So then they go on a road trip to because so then uh, Sandra O's character basically takes it upon herself to like make Aquafina go viral because she knows how to answer every trivia question known to man. Mm -hmm. And then they try to get on the quiz show is basically what's it about. Okay. The the movie is the definition of a breezy watch. It's under 100 minutes. Uh, Sandra Oh and Aquafina have great chemistry. The film is never like laugh out loud funny. It, like, like you know how uh, Vista Del Mar, we were like so confused but laughing so hard. Yes. This is kind of that movie where you have like a sensible chuckle. Okay. Right. It's sensible chuckle. Uh, Jason Schwartzman pops up later on. He he basically is a parody of like that guy that was on Jeopardy that just kept winning and winning. Yep. And everyone got. So he got annoyed by him. Guy. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Him. Um, uh, I would say that the most laugh out loud moment is in the second act where uh, Sandra O oh gives Aquafina too much uppers or, or too much relaxants to get her to not be so uptight. Oh, and no. that's probably the funniest part of the movie. Tony Hale's in this too. He plays like a, because the movie, a big chunk of the movie takes place in Philadelphia. He plays like a, like a Ben Fake Franklin reenactor. That's pretty funny. Okay. Um, but yeah, this is the definition of breezy watch. Um, the one thing that kind of bothered me about the movie is that Sandra O's character never really grows, never really does anything, uh, or, or never really like changes as a character. She's just kind of there. Okay. Um, but I would give this definitely a breezy movie uh, rating. All right. Uh, yeah, give it a watch. It's on Hulu. Uh, and, you know, I don't say this a lot, but the, the pug is pretty cute. They Aww. have this running joke. They have this running joke where the pug is so old that they everyone already thinks it's dead. <laughs> but, but the, the pug is not dead. Let me, re, let, me, let me repeat. The pug is not dead. It's just, it's just a funny little joke they make. All right. Uh, next up is a film we both saw. It's still on streaming. It's actually on Hulu. Uh, and mm. we saw it separately, and C was actually the one telling me over and over again, you need to see this, you need to see this. And after a particularly mm. long day, I was like, ah, I'm on Hulu, let me watch it. And I absolutely adored it. And <laughs> we are talking about uh, directors Molly Gordon and Nick Lieberman's Theater Cap, where they both mm. were co-writers on it, along with uh, Noah Galvin and uh, Ben Platt, who are... Mm. Who are uh, I, I don't are they married or are they just dating? I think they're just dating, but do not quote me on that. Okay, uh, so Ben Platt is, famously was in Dear Evan Hansen, the Broadway production, and uh, the guy who took over for him, Noah Noah Galvin, took over the role, and somehow or another they they hooked up, and now they're an item. So uh, they co-wrote this with the co-directors, and the result is quite possibly one of the. Like, would you say this is like, like the thematic heir to like those? Uh, I'm waiting for you to say those, it. Say that, it. The waiting for Guffman movies. Yes. So okay. Oh my god. So this is sorry. No, no, no. Go I ahead. Go ahead. So this is absolutely the thematic heir of movies like Waiting for Guffman, A Mighty Wind, Best in Show, um, and Spinal Tap. Oh my god. This is Spinal Tap. Um, these really, really funny, and I mean really funny, mo- very specific kinds of mockumentaries, though. Um, 
By the way, by it, the way, the, the movies that uh, C just listed were all like written and directed by Christopher Guest, with the exception of Spinal Tap, that was directed by Rob Reiner. But Christopher Guest, but Christopher Guest wrote it, right? He was a co. Yeah, yeah. Christopher Guest basically was the guy who birthed all these ideas. After Spinal mm-hmm. Tap, he teamed up with Eugene Levy and made all these hilarious mockumentaries, the ones that you just listed. So, so guys, for the record, check them all oh, out. Oh yeah, they're they're, they're hilarious. All... Like, like I was a little skeptical because I was like, yeah, I like Spinal Tap, it's whatever. And then he showed me Waiting for Guffman and a Mighty. I think my favorite's <laughs> a Mighty Wind. I think a Mighty Wind really hits home hard. Yeah, but, uh, and, and it definitely looks like. Uh, Gordon Lieberman, Platt, and Galvin took from Christopher Guest and was like, "We want to do what he does for for theater kids." And yeah, and you, it worked too well. Yeah. That's so, so I'm yeah, I'm not sorry. a theater kid. Uh, I the the, the most but the most I was. <laughs> I, I was gonna say I was gonna say the most I ever got close to being a theater kid was helping out with my local church's pageant. Uh, mm. C would be the expert in this, and we yes. actually have a mutual. Actually, our 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 friend uh, our friend uh, who helped, who was on our John Wick Four review, Chapter Four review. Mm. Uh, what did he go by? Did he go by? I don't I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but he's also he was also like a theater <clears throat> kid, and when he told me like he went by Chris R. Chris R. Yeah, sorry. When Chris R. told me like, hey. This is hilarious. You need to watch it because it's so real. I was like, okay, if you and C are telling me to watch this, I'll get around to it. And um, yeah, no, theater camp. It- <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So <clears throat> to sum this up in a fast way, basically this this woman, this woman who retired from years of working. Played by Emmy Sedaris. Yes, played by Amy Sedaris, who retired after working in a hedge fund, I think. That was the implication, at least. Like, she rose to the corporate ladder, made a lot of money, and basically, after developing a nest egg over time, bought a plot of land out in the country and made a summer camp for theater kids, because she realized that's what she loved doing. Um, And she really just became this important person for a lot of the kids who wanted to go beyond the high school or, dare I say, the church production. Like, they wanted to get more involved. And often the way you did that was by doing a summer a summer theater camp of some kind. Um, I am included in that. I did a local theater camp when I thought I could act for many years. Uh, better yet, Al, it was a musical theater camp exclusively, and I thought I was so cool for doing that. Um, and... So basically, it's about, uh, and for the record, going to theater camp is awesome. Everyone should do it once, for the record. Um, but this movie's basically about sh- this woman who basically has, was it cardiac arrest? Um, or a seizure of some kind during a production of Bye Bye Birdie that she's like going to a high school because they have to like try to find kids. Uh, who to join to sign up for the camp and pay get to, to get the parents to pay ahead of time so they can keep the money going to keep the funds going, and she has a seizure during a production of Bye Bye Birdie for a light sequence, and her son, who has to take over the theater camp and run it, and Al, how would you describe her son? He's basically like a frat bro wannabe influencer. Um, yes. He and, and like the worst type of influencer, the uh, the in, in, in Trump, uh, entrepreneur influencer. Uh, 
And he, yes. he's like a giant failure at that. And he's played magnificently by uh, you, former you, or no, he was this Vine star, Jimmy Taro, Tatro. Let, let, Life According to Jimmy, those are actually some very funny YouTube videos. Oh my God. Uh, so I first got exposed to him in this Netflix show called American Vandal, which mm. is brilliant. It's a parody of like all those like true crime um documentaries except it's about like stuff that happens in high school and he was the he was the suspect in the first season and he was brilliant he was first of all at first he's playing like this dunce and then you find this layer of like of like pathos within his character it's like this guy is not only funny but he knows how to perform like dramatically um he does. and then he started popping up here and there i think he was in some Tyler. He was in a Tyler Perry movie. I think for the like a bit role. Most recent thing he's been in besides Theater Camp was he plays the younger version of Burt Kreischer in the Machine movie, and yes. he's really good in that too. Like the movie's whatever. Uh, it's on Netflix, and if you want to know, it's just a movie. Uh, <laughs> quick, quick review right there. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, um, you know, he's really good, and he, you know, he's popping up. In the, I think he had like his own sitcom for a while with. Uh, with uh oh god uh oh he did yes with um with the the guy who that. played Eric on that 70s show what's his name um yes oh god how am I blinking on his name um oh er- okay yeah but whatever whatever um uh, uh and he pops up on this and you know he he's playing that role that he always plays like kind of a jaw kind of frat boyish type deal and and the source of the humor comes from the fact that he like for a, the son of a theater addict he is like whatever i'm just using this as an opportunity to impress my it's just something his mom did yeah 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 and and the contrast between him and the camp counselors it's hilarious it's hilarious it's and the brilliant yeah and the camp counselors are played by ben platt and molly gordon uh ben platt plays the uh lyricist i think is he the lyricist is he the lyricist or the musician? I, uh, no, no, no. He's the he's the composer. He plays the composer. He's like the okay, camp yeah. composer. He composes all like all like the big the big shows that the camp throws at the end of the at the end of the of the season. And mm-hmm. his co-writer partner Molly Gordon is the lyricist. She writes all the mm-hmm. lyrics and stuff. And they're like the two counselors that have they 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 were raised by the camp. And they came mm-hmm. back to the camp. And then you have mm-hmm. Noah Galvin playing the tech guy who really, yeah. really wanted to be like a performer, but he somehow ended up as the tech guy that no one respects. And yeah. rounded And the movie makes it very clear throughout yeah. the entire time. And the cast is rounded out with uh Nathan Lee Graham. He plays a counselor who I believe his shtick is costumes, I think. Yes. Uh Owen Feely, yeah. who's also there, and uh Ayo Edbiri, who plays this uh, this so basically, uh, Jimmy Taro's character downsizes the camp, and he basically hires her to take over like multiple camp counselor roles. And she's the one who's like, "I just need a job." She's the counselor who's like, "I just need a job. I don't know what this is, but whatever." Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously we there's also some amazing character actors. In oh there yeah, yeah, yeah. Who are really just the glitter to the gold at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. And and listen, um, I, I, I. I can't remember where I first was exposed. I think it was maybe, uh, maybe uh, what was that? What was that movie with Anna Kendrick? Uh, the 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 ones with the the they sing. Um, 
were they saying? Yeah, Anna Kendrick, uh, Rebel Wilson. Oh, oh, um, yes, uh, Pitch Perfect. Pitch Perfect. I think I think I got I, I was introduced to Ben Platt there, and obviously, if you're like really into theater, if you're really into musicals, you knew him from like all the stuff he was in on Broadway. Uh, mm-hmm. Was he also? I feel like he was also like on Glee for a, for a minute. I feel. I never watched Glee. I'm a theater kid and I never watched Glee. Oh, good for you. It, good for you. It was, no, it, it's not a good show <laughs> to put it plainly. Um, but, uh, and Noah Galvin, this is my first time being introduced to him. Its only benefit was that it, it encouraged more people to join a theater class of some kind. Uh-huh. That was the only good thing about uh-huh. it. Anyways, go on. Um, but listen, this cast, and see, I think you would agree, this cast is great in their roles. Uh, you oh, really yeah. believe the relationship between Ben Platt's and Molly Gordon's character uh, mm. You you feel that tension. I think you would agree on that. Uh, and most of all, like their relationship plays like a relationship that you and I, as people who went to art school, saw all the time. Oh, you saw it. It was you know what it was. It was the people who knew each other in high school and went to the same college. That's always a bad idea, folks. <laughs> it's no, it's ne- and I'm not even for the record. I'm not even necessarily talking about people who are re- who are in like romantic relationships with one another. There were people who weren't, but they were friends in high school. And there's, I'll put it this way. Al, tell me if you've ever seen this. You see the two of these people together and one's really trying to find their way and the other's just following along and refusing to leave the other one's side. Um, obviously, it was a hyperfixation version of these people, but we went to art school. We, as Al said, we fucking saw it <laughs> um, among more majors than others. Um, the but, the funny thing, the the great thing about this yeah. movie, folks, and why you should definitely a lot of illustration majors were like that. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Uh, I'll, what, I'll stop. What, One of my roommates is an illustration major, so I shouldn't say that. So what nice. what makes what makes this uh, this so such a great watch? Like I'm, I'm I'm telling you, folks, everyone should give this a watch. Is yeah. that like they the, the okay? So what is it that makes a com- comedy movie funny? Uh, it's the joke. Timing. It's the timing. Yeah, it's the jokes. But it's also like, and I hate saying this phrase, but it's all it's also how the joke subverts your expectations, right? Mm. Um, there's a there's a running joke on here <laughs> in this movie yeah. about a, a young boy who is very obviously not like a theater kid not like the other kids. not like the other kids and and they could play this joke for like look at this weird like like completely ostracize him because you know that's what you expect like oh this kid's not a theater kid so the theater kids are gonna kind of bully him right yeah. And instead, in fact, they, the whole thing was that like some of the counselors were like, oh, behind closed doors, they're like, he's here because his parents are really wealthy. Or something yeah, yeah, like yeah. And you're totally expecting um, you're totally expecting this uh, this joke to go a certain way. And then it doesn't. It goes a completely different direction. And it's still funny. Um, and listen, it lands on its feet. Oh, yeah. At the very oh, end. yeah. And and listen, uh She's not in it a lot, but every time Ayo Edbiri's on screen, so I know Ayo Edbiri from The Bear, which is one of yeah. my favorite shows. Uh, yeah. I, but she's in a lot right well, now. Well, here's the, the crazy thing. I was like, wow, this is a great dramatic actress with some comedic chops. Imagine my shock when I found out she's a comedian first and foremost. She's like a comedic actress who does improv. And like, like 
like she's like super funny and i was like wow i had no idea ben platt and molly gordon and uh and uh, what's what's the other, what's the director's name? Uh, Noah uh, Noah Galvin and Nick Lieberman. I didn't know they they could see the humor in her. And then you're like, you look at her social media, and you're like, oh oh, she's a comedian and then a dramatic actress. Oh okay. Mm. Um, no, she's great in it. Uh, like you said, there's all these uh, character actors that are in it that are really really good. My favorite fucking line in that whole movie, and this this isn't a spoiler, folks, but this just gives you a taste of the comedy, is. One of the one of the counselors that they seem to because okay one thing they do is every counselor gets the chance to do like a monologue at like at nighttime in the uh, dormitories of this place instead of like a, a reading a story at night and there's just this one character they seem to like all agree that they should not allow to do a monologue <laughs> in there even though they love him and then they have to due to desperation and he's in there and he just goes. Life's not easy. Suddenly you're 40 and you're a go-go dancer on Hell's Kitchen. And I'm like, what the fuck? And he's telling this to like nine-year-olds. And it's really, really, really funny. Uh, um, also, there's a line where a little girl goes at the end. She's like, being in, uh, being the st- you don't have to be pretty to be the star, but it helps. And I'm like, Jesus one, Christ. One, one final thing I'll add. Um, like I stated earlier, uh, this is my introduction to Noah Galvin. Um, and let me just say that he's either going to become king of Broadway or or he's going to be in a Disney musical very, very soon. That's that's oh, all I'll yeah. say. That's all I'll say. Yeah, and because because because, you know, the, the thing is, the, the, the way the, the, the kind of the humor that revolves around his character, you're like, OK, I know what's going to happen. And you're like, can it live to the hype that it's building up? And it really did. It, it really, really did. There's also a little subtle thing I have to add where they cut at times to like different old recordings of the because a lot of the counselors went there as kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so it cuts at times to their performances and it captures this thing that for some reason, every single theater camp, because it's always the parents that end up recording mm-hmm. where it's this awful shitty camcorder in the back at behind the audience uh, and like you don't get any good close-ups of any of the kid actors. It's just because they're trying to catch the whole thing, and it's just I saw that and I was like, that's such a specific uh, reference visually that told me as I was watching this movie that the people making this come from a place of knowledge and love. And for that, I give this a theatrical a theatrical flush. God damn it. That was gonna be my rating, theatrical flush. You can you can say fabulous flush. Fab- That's fine. Fabulous flush. No, this is definitely a fabulous flush. Um, yeah. I. But seriously, check it no, out. No, it's, it's great. Um, listen, I, I'm always I'm always skeptical, like when when you okay. So I've always I've it. always been skeptical when you know these movies that go for like whole like a hole in the wall mockumentary style where it looks like everyone's just riffing. Right. I'm always mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, these these movies come out of Sundance or, or, or South by Southwest. And it's like there are these comedies where where, you know, it's like, oh, there's just a bunch of riffing. And then you're like, there there were four credited writers on this. How? Yeah. And then you just see the strength of the jokes. You see the strength of the narrative, the strength of the characterization. And for a movie that probably did not if this cost more than a million, I'd be very shocked. It probably cost maybe mm-hmm. like 500 grand, if that. Um, oh yeah, it did not cost a lot. Yeah, There's no way. Uh, but no, g- definitely give this a watch, folks. It, it, it's one. It's gonna be one of like it went straight from like its its festival run into 
uh, uh, streaming, and it's going to be one of those movies that, like, you're going to just be laughing, 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 and you don't, like, take it from me, you don't have to be a theater kid to enjoy it. All right. No, you don't. All right. So next up is ba ba ba. Thanksgiving, Thank, I think. Thanksgiving. Well, before we do Thanksgiving, let me do another oh, one yeah, that sure. I forgot to put on there. Uh, oh, C. yeah. C. Mm-hmm. Uh, just off the top of your your head, name me like your five favorite comedians working now. Stand up comics. Oh, okay. Stand up comics. Okay. Um, I would have to say. Okay, this isn't. This is not a one through five. These are just the five I can think of. Um, Tom Segura, Burt Kreischer, um, uh, Patton Oswalt, um, and I would say working now. Oh, um, uh, Chris Rock. And um, I'll name an up-and-coming one that I'm really impressed by, and that's Aaron Belisle. But anyways, why do you ask? Oh, okay, all right. I, I was, I was kind of that didn't work. The no, way no, no, it, it did, did not. You? It did not. No. Sorry. Fine. <laughs> what were you going to uh, say? So uh, I'm here to talk about uh, Bill Burr's directorial debut. Uh, went straight to Netflix called Old Dads. Uh, oh shit! So okay. Bill Burr. So. Th- there was a point in time that there were two comics that really spoke to me. It was Bill Burr and uh, Louis C.K. Louis C.K. spoke to that exasperated part of myself that was with life. And Bill Burr spoke to the angry part of myself that was fed up with life. And uh, In college. In college. Yeah, in college. Okay. Uh, my taste has expanded. Um, I, I actually really, really like uh, Taylor Tomlinson and... Uh, <laughs> Tim Dillon. So take so, that so as you will. Not, so not it's it's not expanded. It's compounded. Okay. <laughs> That's a great Go way to on. put it. Go uh, on. Anyway, anyway, old dads. Uh, so you know, I I'm a f- giant fan of Bill Burr. I'm a giant fan of his podcast, and I actually. Like, as he was, you know, writing this, then shooting this, then editing this, he would always update it on every episode of his podcast. And I was like, well, I really, really want to see this now. Um, And I got to say that I I, I got to say that my biggest fear, like, like there were two ways this was going to go about. Either Bill Burr was going to reveal himself to be more akin to a stand up comic director like louis ck like folks for those that don't know louis ck actually has quite the cinematic eye he is very much inspired by people like directors like david lynch uh federico oh there's there's a great youtube channel called james whale bake sale that's his actual name and they talk he it basically intercuts clips with interviews of different people talking about movies he's got a few amazing perspectives on movies i highly recommend not just okay so that is crazy because i discovered james whale bake sale too and you never, we never talked about that channel to each other. That's no, we never have. Uh, and for the record, I didn't discover it. Uh, a friend of ours who I am hoping will be on the podcast soon. For now, they will remain nameless until they decide what the name on the, the podcast will be. But they f- showed me this, and I'm like, this is everything to me. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, so it was like, okay, we're either going to get another stand-up comic who's actually like has a really interesting visual eye, or and this is mostly what happens. The stand-up comics just kind of they they make mm-hmm. movies that are more like in the vein of a Judd Apatow type deal, except mm. like even less cinematic. 
if, if, if that makes any sense. Because say what you will, Judd Apatow started off as a writer and then he was like directing television before he made the jump to movies with a 40 year old vir- or with uh, the 40 year old virgin. And, and listen, if, I, if I'm saying you're not as cinematic as Judd Apatow, that's kind of a, a, a condemnation. Because at least Judd Apatow knew how to hire good people. Yeah. So, and unfortunately, listen, Old Dads is the best of these types of movies, I would say. But, oh, and one other thing is that they always happen to be like, just like, like just narrative, like film narrative adaptations of their stand-up bits. And I will say Old Dads is the best version of that. Um, but? Uh, so basically Old Dad stars Bill Burr, Bobby Cannavale, and Bokeem Woodbine as three friends who opened up a uh, vintage sports jersey shop that they just sold to like a big, a big like a company. And mm-hmm. to say that there is a plot is being very kind. It mm-hmm. Really what it is is a series of vignettes where Bill Burr's character uh, basically spends his scenes like kind of it's, it's basically like one long episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, you know, like mm. where Curb is like it's just like Larry David going from one scene to another where he's like being treated as the bad guy and he doesn't know why. Yeah, that's that. Th- this is that. But as a movie and with Bill Burr style comedy versus a Larry David comedy. And here's the thing that old, here's the thing with that. I would say Curb Your Enthusiasm style comedy only works with Larry David, pretty much. Yeah, and and listen, if you listen, if you've watched all, if you're caught up with Bill Burr's stand up specials, you're literally go like, oh, I know what stand up, I know what stand up special that's from. I know what stand up special that's from. Uh, I mean, there's one where it's like you know he's he's driving behind someone who's on one of those like Uber scooters. That was like mm-hmm. in his last special, I think, or the mm-hmm. or the one before that, and I was like, oh, he just made a short film version of that of that monologue, okay, mm-hmm. and and listen, they're funny and they're well acted, but quite frankly, it's like again, if if you've seen his stand up, you're like, oh, okay, I, I guess that's that. Um, mm-hmm. There's a, I think the. The most famous, if you can say that, the most famous scene is like he calls the the head teacher of his son's uh, like elite preschool the C word. And mm. it's funny, but it's not as funny as it was when Bill Burr like talked about it in his podcast because he, mm-hmm. he was trying to make a stand up bit out of that. He never did. It's not in any of his specials. Only if you listen to his podcast where you'd be like, oh, oh OK, but listen like a lot of other stand-up comedians have tried to make the jump into movies. And let me just say, you are successful. Let, let me just say this. Whereas the machine with Burt Kreischer actually has like interesting cinematography and is actually telling a narrative. It's just very mediocre in this one. It's like, yeah, the cinematography is significantly worse. Yeah. The narrative is non-existent, but the performances are a lot better. And quite frankly, like, when when it when it is funny, you are laughing more than I was with the machine. So, this to me, I'm gonna make I'm gonna rate it as a movie. Uh, if you haven't seen Bill Burr's last three specials, you can watch this and you'll probably be laughing your ass off. But if you're mm. a fan of Bill Burr, so you've seen his specials and you've listened to his podcast, you're just gonna be like, oh, he 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 added that joke into this movie. Oh, he added that joke into this movie. And listen. Um, 
I, I, w- I was hoping that it was going to be this thing of like, oh, Bill Burr was going to be the new like stand-up comic turned director because Louis, l- let's be real, Louis C.K. was showing a lot of promise and for, for reasons we're not going to get into, that ended that. And yes. And, you know, there, there's something to be said that comedy in Hollywood is, is not as it used to be. Um, right, right now, the only one who's making comedy movies that are really, really funny is Edgar Wright. And right now he's kind of not doing comedies anymore. Yeah, he's taking a breather, which can't blame him. Let him do what he wants to yeah, do. Can't blame him. You know, we all we all enjoyed last night in Soho. It was fun. Yeah, yeah, it was it was very fun. All right, next up is a movie that did come out in theaters. Uh, it is Eli Roth's Halloween parody and mm. adaptation of his Grindhouse trailer, Thanksgiving. So, uh, <sighs> see. Did you ever see Grindhouse? Wait, have have so I've I've seen Death Proof and I've seen the trailers for for um Grindhouse. Have all the trailers been turned into movies? No, no, no. The Edgar Wright one hasn't because he 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 himself has said that like there's no way to make that into a into a movie because Okay. Like like is that the only one now? Uh yes, that's the only one. That's kind of amazing when you think about yeah. it. Machete, hope with a shotgun. Um, yeah, they've, uh, they've all been made into movies. So, uh, let me give some background to this movie. In 2007, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino were like, hey, let's make a giant homage to the Grindhouse movies that inspired us to be filmmakers. And uh, Quentin Tarantino ended up making Death Proof, and Robert Rodriguez ended up making Planet Terror. And they combined the two films to be like this... Uh, this uh, Massive double feature. Yeah, this kind of fake double feature called Grindhouse. And in the mm. middle of the two movies, there were there were these trailers for fake movies that they got their friends to direct. Uh, mm-hmm. And Eli Roth directed one that was an homage to Black Christmas and Halloween called Thanksgiving. And to me, it was actually the most clever one because it had the best lines. White meat, dark meat, all will be carved. That's mm. like 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 literally it was it was a great little trailer. Uh, it was really funny. And finally, Eli Roth has made it into a movie. So uh, it stars um, a lot of like out of all the. So the, 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 the lead is Patrick Dempsey, who you all know mm. as McDreamy from uh, Grey's Anatomy. Uh, yes. um, so Patrick Dempsey is the lead. Uh, then we also have. Uh, oh, God. Uh, did you ever see a. Uh, Suits, because I know that guy. Yeah, yeah, it, the guy, yeah. the the asshole from Suits, the bald asshole. He's he's good though, for the record. You want like at being an at, pl- at playing an asshole. Oh, I was about to say like, did you see this movie? No, he's no, no, no. He's good at playing an asshole in Suits. I have not seen the movie. Yeah, uh, Rick Hoffman, by the way. So Rick Hoffman plays this. He plays this store owner that decided to slash prices to an insane degree for an early Black Friday. Literally, it's still Thanksgiving. He's just gonna open at six and the evening on Thanksgiving. And it's like 50% off, you get a, f- a free waffle iron. Um, mm. His, uh, and uh, the it's a it's a young cast. Uh, Nell Veralik, Addison Ray, Jalen Thomas Brooks, Milo Mannheim. Uh, and these, they're basically his daughter and her friends and her boyfriend. Uh, they uh, they sneak into the store because they one of, one of her friends needs a new phone, and what they don't realize is that because the prices are so crazy low, there's literally a mob forming outside. 
because they desperately mm-hmm. want to get the free shit. And mm-hmm. uh, what happens, I'm not going to spoil it, but what happens is basically a riot. And that's just the prologue. And then Jesus. basically the whole movie is someone wants to get revenge for who, who they think is responsible for the riot. Uh, that's pretty much the movie. Uh, I will say this. The only reason I wanted to watch this is because one of my aforementioned favorite comedians right now, Tim Dillon, is in it. Mm-hmm. Like, he's in it. And I was like, oh, I want to support. Like, he, he wants his, his fans always call him the pig. And I said, I want to support the pig. Let me let me go see this mm-hmm. movie. And it was the first movie I, I've seen in theaters in a while, in a long, long while. And I'm not an mm-hmm. Eli Roth guy. Like, I've, I haven't seen. Oh, me neither. I'm really not. Yeah, I've, I've only seen uh, Cabin Fever. I've never seen any of the Hostels. I've seen the first Hostel. Uh, you do not I need saw, to. I've seen end. The Green Inferno. Uh, I've seen that, too. I've seen too much. For, for someone who doesn't like his work, I've seen a lot of it. Uh, and I've seen, I've never seen Death Wish. I, and I've heard The House with the Clock on Its Walls, which was produced by Steven Spielberg, is actually really good. It's the one that he made with, uh, with Jack, Black, with Jack right. Black. And then he also did a documentary about like shark hunting for, for shark fin soup. But I haven't seen okay. that. Uh, so I haven't seen a lot. Cabin Fever, whatever. Uh, Green Inferno, I was like, okay, I guess. It's gross. It's just, it's just gross. Yeah, it's just gross. So I was like, you know, it is what it is. Like, we'll see. And out of those movies that I've seen, I will say this. The prologue is his strongest directorial effort I have ever seen. Really? Like, the buildup to the riot and the riot itself is so well done. I was like, damn, if this is the whole movie, this is going to be a great movie. Unfortunately, it's not. Um, oh. A bit, so. You, that's. I'm sorry. I shouldn't say it like that. What I mean is like, it, I hate when movies have such a strong opening and then they just fizzle here, out. Here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll say. Not to get into spoilers. But the lead in this movie gives it their all. They they really like go all in on a pro, on a on a story that you're like, "Really? This is the thing you're like really acting your butt off?" Okay. Um mm-hmm. and it works. I really really liked it. Um I, I really liked the performance, I should say. Uh I think a big reason why this movie kind of falters a bit is that uh first of all, one of the leads is Addison Ray, a TikTok star. And oh. listen, with all due respect, like like I get I get what Eli Roth was doing. Like remember, this is a callback to Black Christmas, to Halloween, where you get these young starlets who maybe aren't the greatest actresses, but they look cute, and you know they look cute, and they're they're, they're cannon fodder for the the psycho killer. Um, it's just one of those things where it's like, yeah, but they did it because they didn't have any money. You actually had some money. You could have you could. Listen, if you're able to hire Patrick Dempsey, you can hire quality actors instead of TikTok stars. Um, so the acting here outside of Patrick Dempsey and Rick Hoffman and Gina Gershon is whatever, whatever. Like, like it, it just kind of is what it is. Uh, so because this is like an homage to all those slashers, Halloween and Black Christmas specifically, um, you you want the kills to be good, and yeah, they're they're fine. But this movie is surprisingly doesn't have a lot of kills, like like it has them, but they're they're not a lot, and um, they're only like 
there's only really one that you're like, oh my God, that's fucked up. Um, and then the third act just turns into a totally different movie. And um, you're kind of like, oh, did it really have to be this? Okay, I guess, whatever. Uh, that being said, um, the prologue was still really, really good. Uh, the kills that do happen on screen are satisfyingly gory. There's just not a lot. Like, it goes from, like, oh, that's a crazy kill, and then it takes a while before the next kill. And you're like, I thought this was a slasher. And, you know, because, you know, old slashers, they were, like, killing people every five minutes. That was the whole point. It's like after every five minutes, it was timed out, where it's like after ten minutes of story build, it's actually, no, it was every five minutes. Yeah, yep. someone was always dying every five minutes. Like, put it this way, like, like out of the core group of teenagers, a majority of them survive. Oh, well, wait, Usually it's fuck? one, maybe two. In this one, it was a majority. Mm. It was like five. And you're like, wait, what? Are, are you serious? Five survived? Okay. Mm. Um, and that was kind of the thing. I was like, Eli Roth, you have something here, but maybe it was because of budget. Maybe it was because, um, you know, there's only, maybe he was having like a, writer's block or something out of thinking of creative deaths but yeah i mean i mean the stuff that was in here was like nowhere near as creative as the stuff you saw in the trailer uh in the original grindhouse trailer um that being said there was nothing in here that like made me turn my nose at the movie like the acting never got so bad that i was like oh god i cannot watch this like like addison ray i, I know you're super famous because of tiktok but Maybe being an actress isn't for you. Uh, I would say that, like, I would say that the mystery element of it, because, you know, there's a there's a mystery element to it. I would say the mm -hmm. mystery element was done well. It's nothing mind-blowing, but it was done well, right? Like, I was like, I was like, could it be this person? Oh, I guess it is. Uh, <laughs> like, like, no, like. Sorry, that was. No, no, because the movie basically makes you go like, oh, it's gonna be this guy, and you're like, oh, I can see that. Oh, I guess it was that other person that, like, because you know, there's like a list of people that you're like, it's always gonna be one of these types, right? Mm -hmm. It's always gonna be one of these types, and then you know, the movie never like gives you like a, a whiplash of like, oh my god, I never expected it was gonna be that guy, like, like people mm -hmm. forget that in the original. Um, in the original Scream, um, it like sla in slasher movies, there was almost never ever the boyfriend. Like I don't think it ever mm -hmm. was. Like the boy, the boyfriend being the killer was like the th the new thing Scream did, right? Scream did that, and yeah, that's basically and which was at when it when Scream did that, that shocked fucking everybody. People were like, "This record. heartthrob is the killer." Oh my god! And in this yeah. one, and in this one, it's always like, yeah, it's always going to be like one of these five suspects and it, it was the guy mm -hmm. and it was the person and you're like oh okay i guess all right that being said that being said the way the movie ends even though the third act turns into something totally different i will say this the 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 way it was performed the way it was acted i was like you know this person has the potential to become the new slasher icon if eli roth plays his cards right if mm -hmm. he plays his cards right because they really did give it their all. I went on IMDb and they're already working on a sequel. Yeah, because so. the, the movie made the movie made a lot of money. I mean, because it was released yeah. like it was released like at the perfect time. At the perfect time. So this to me is a 
this to me is a fun this is a a fun matinee movie for the holidays like like you know like it's it's a holiday you know maybe you're maybe you're waiting for for the for the holiday dinner to be ready in like five hours and you're like what do we do to kill the time well no one here plays uh, football so how about we just go to the movie and when we come back we have dinner this is that type go. of movie okay and and i that's fair yeah so like uh when the sequel like when like when this pops up on streaming pop it in you're gonna have a great time just don't watch it around your 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 mom because she's probably i mean you in the general sense and don't 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 watch actually yeah don't watch this around your mom and don't write don't watch this probably i'm guessing i haven't seen it but right before you're gonna eat yeah yeah all right next up is a movie that when when it was announced <laughs> i was yeah. like rolled your eyes I, I rolled my eyes and I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'll have to watch this because everybody was raving about this director's directorial debut. Yes, which for the record, I enjoyed her directorial debut. And uh, uh, when when reviews started coming out, I was like, oh, maybe I don't need to watch this. Yeah. And uh, and then you watched it and you basically confirmed it with like, yeah, it kind of loves the smell of its own farts. And I was like, oh, that's all. If C is telling yeah. me that, I don't need to watch it. And what I'm talking yeah. about is, like, expect, salt burn, folks. Expected awards contender, Emerald Fennel's salt burn. So, see, you've or seen salt sulfuric burn. Sulfuric okay. burn. So, 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 sure. see, uh, tell us, I tell us it. a little bit about salt burn. So let me be first be clear. I saw this out of morbid curiosity because, you know, when you go to the movies a lot, which is what I was still doing while Alan was participating in his training exercises with the American Taliban. <laughs> um, uh, I'm that we're gonna keep that bit going. Um, we, you know. We've talked about how we used to see a lot of trailers over and over again. And I think at the time we brought this up, we agreed that the most annoying trailer was the Elvis one, right? Yeah. Like that was, yeah. it was, it was insufferable. Oh, yeah. We're like, oh, kill, yeah. kill me now. Stop. Um, after that, it, Saltburn took the cake for insufferability. Um, but part of me was just kind of curious about what this was. Um, Cause you know, they're like, Oh, it's got the smaller aspect ratio, and it looks like a the whole thing kind of looks like a jewelry box, but in the form of a film. I actually really like some of the actors in this, uh, but oddly enough, I like some of the smaller roles. Like most specifically, the man who plays the let's just say one the father character, Richard Grant. Yeah, Richard Grant is a fucking legend okay al introduced me to an amazing movie called whitnail and i um uh, that was the movie that made also, him famous and and you were like it is you're like I, I think what it was is that you saw uh can you ever forgive me and you were like wow that guy's and, great and i was like yeah dude that's richard grant did, did you never see uh whitnail and i and it's like well, no what is that and i was like dude and then we got it and i loved it it's a it's it's point is this man's a legend, and I actually—that's an exit that I've got to give credit where credits due. Even though obviously I'm biased towards, I'm positively biased towards when he's cast. The role they cast him in kind of made absolute sense. Um, okay, having said that, so what is Saltburn about? Basically, Oxford College in 2006. The movie is very clear to state that this is not the present day, but you know it kind of looks like it in almost all the ways that matter. Um, 
for the record, the movie kind of opens up with our lead, who is played, of course, by a very talented actor, Barry Cogan, who you might recognize as the star of Killing of a Sacred Deer, and he got an Oscar nomination for, um, what's that, what was that movie? Um, the Irish one. Uh, oh, uh, uh, um, Banshees of Inishirin. That's right. Okay, yeah. Very talented actor. Uh, to put it simply, this is about Barry Cogan's, Cogan's character kind of uh, meeting and getting to know this the 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 really rich crowd of Oxford because like any you know super prestigious school like it or any Ivy League anything like that um, or anything like anything like that it's you know you've got like basically two group you've got a few groups and one of the few groups is you know you've got the You've got the really smart kids who got in there because they were highly intelligent or did really well, worked very hard to get in, all sorts of stuff. Um, and then you have the um, legacies, basically. And this is about Barry Cogan's character kind of like making buddy-buddy with the leader of the legacies, played by... Um, Jacob Delordi. Thank you. Yes, who, for the record, has had a very good year for movies, uh, as far or in being in stuff, I should say. Yeah, inter- uh, interesting career. He he basically got his big break in America doing those Kissing Booth movies, mm-hmm. and everyone was like, "Oh, this is going to be the new Netflix heartthrob." And then Noah Centeno took that over, and he was like, yeah. "I'm going to make the jump over to HBO and be the most psychotic asshole on Euphoria." I want a movie between those two actors specifically, but they're just. Like um, like a spy versus spy, but with them. That'd be very uh, funny. They're too tall. They're too tall. They, they stick I, out like a sore thumb. But like, you know, so was... Um, never mind. Anyways, <laughs> um, I'm not... Never mind. Um, so it basically, summertime hits, and through circumstances that I don't care to explain, Barry Cogan's character ends up going to the literal palace of Saltburn, or one of the... Which is one of those... British aristocratic ancient castles that like, you know, Henry the eighth or something spent a summer in or something, or would go to every once in a while, like it's old as shit, but you know, it's been modernized and updated in, in various ways. And it's basically about the family that's living there and he's spending his summer with them. And you slowly learn that they're all fucking crazy. Shocker. I know. Right. Rich people being crazy. Oh my God. Now, that's never been done thing. before. Ne- that I know. It's like <laughs> Emerald no Fennel one... is breaking new ground. You're being mean. Um, She's a class so... traitor because she came from money. Okay. Uh, uh, that's why she knows about that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, actually, she did talk about that in an interview. She's like, no, I have. She talked about how like she has the perspective because she was one of those people. It's like, no, You'd have the perspective if you were like the person that was invited to one of the houses. Then you'd like actually see how crazy they are. But you are one of the crazy people, so I, I don't know what listen, that is. Listen, I have nothing against Emerald Fennel. Um, from from no, my from I, my understanding, don't. like like, uh, what was it called? A talented young woman. I, I never saw it. No, uh, uh, promising, promising young, young woman. woman. I I never saw it. I liked but, it. But yeah, it's you good. told me you liked it, and you said, "I'll oh, give it a chance." I'm like, oh, I, I don't know. I got other stuff to watch, and. Like you've also said that she was great in The Crown, um, she because she plays she, Camilla, right? She's re- and she does a really good yeah, job. Yeah. Um, so I have nothing against her. It's just that like, I happened to come upon a review of the movie, and something that was really interesting. And let me 
let me ask you if you agree with this, was that sure. like Emerald Fennel making this movie comes across a little tone deaf because she's trying to present herself as a class trader because she comes from old money in England. And that's like yeah. the most elitist. And that's 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 the oldest money that exists. Exactly. And, pretty much. It's like, and, oh shit. And uh and but that's kings and queens old money. And then and then they said like the the, the problem and let me let me see if you agree. They said the problem with yeah. Saltburn is that it's like the message it's trying to give, it gives like the opposite message at the end. Where it's like actually yeah. the rich people are rich people aren't like crazy. It's well, anyway, um, so here's okay. Let me just say this: as I said to you, and as you said on here, when I saw it, the movie, you know, loves the smell of its own farts. Um, it literally is, uh, genuinely, to put it in a nice way, it's a movie that thinks it's so goddamn smart because it has this twist, quote unquote, um, and it's just like I. <sighs> It's not that I didn't see it coming. It's that when it happened, I was just annoyed. I'm like, really? That was your that was your thing. You could have gone any angle with this. You could have. You could have. You could have done anything with this, and you decided to go here. Um, but I watched a a critic that we both admire um, talk about it, and he said something very interesting that really stuck with me after I saw it. What this movie does is it combines really pretty cinemat and I emphasize the word pretty cinematography. Um, you know, basically the whole movie looks like it's shot like one of those, you know, Calvin Klein or, um, you know, perfume ads, yeah, yeah, but yeah. for 90 minutes. Yeah. Um, but then every like 20 minutes, give or take, uh, 15 to 20 minutes, it then inserts something to make you feel very uncomfortable, very intentionally so. Um, there is a scene, people, I think there's only one of these uncomfortable scenes that a lot of people are talking about. Yeah, yeah, the, the bathtub and, one. And yes, and yes, it's weird, it's gross, It's it makes you uncomfortable. But I've seen grosser things, I've seen grosser things be used better in a movie, and I've seen them be used worse in a movie. And obviously it was weird, but you're watching this, it's like, I'm just uncomfortable. Like, that's all it is. I'm just uncomfortable by this. Um, and that's it. Like, so yeah, the movie thinks it's smarter than it is. There's a twist at the end. That's really not that great. Um, I give this a, I, I've kind of said it already. This is a movie that thinks it's so fucking smart. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's a movie because it is objectively shot. Well, okay. It's, you know, you get from points A to B to C to D E F G and so forth in the story. And the acting is is good. Like these are talented actors doing exactly the kind of role you expect almost all of them to do. Um, I do want to give a, two shout outs. Uh, one is, of course, to Richard E. Grant, who played basically the father of the really rich kid and the um, the owner of the estate. Um, the other and this is more of a shout out for this actor in general who's had, I genuinely think like an interesting year. And that is Archie McMadek. Archie Madekwe. Archie Madekwe, who we talked about. In Gran Turismo. Was, yeah. In Gran Turismo. And I got to give credit solely for this one thing. 
because he's he played a character he played like a memorable role in Midsommar. He's in Gran Turismo and he's in Saltburn. I gotta give credit where credit's due to him in that all three performances were pretty intensely starkly different from one another, and that that tells me like okay you're actually like you you keep being in good things or keep being in more things like you you deserve to be in more i want to see where you go because in gran turismo well we saw it we saw the kind of role he yeah played. he played very much um, a, a a working class tough kid and in this he plays sort of the puppy dog to the rich to the rich uh, friend who's feeling threatened by uh, Barry Cogan's character, uh, so he tries to like go after him in certain ways. But he kind of also plays this like simultaneously caring and uncaring uh, role. He also, I'm more by the end of the movie, I was like more sympathetic to him than I was Barry Cogan mm-hmm. or Cogan because it. Okay, and this would have made a better movie. Uh, this part I will spoil. Uh, Archie's character. His mom is friends with the mom of the main rich kid. And she basically fell on hard times. And the their family agreed to take him in. But basically, every once in a while, he has to go to them and, like, gravel for money. Mm. And basically renew, constantly renew his stance within the family uh, in these little ways. And... So when Barry comes into the picture, that's, of course, very threatening to him because this is his it's not just this rich lifestyle for him. This is his bread and butter. Like he doesn't know anything else. And there's even a scene where he acknowledges that, like, he only knows this posh lifestyle. He acknowledges that he wouldn't survive if he's lost out of it. And he says to Barry's character, like, you've lived the you haven't you're just coming into this world. I've been born in it. and I don't know anything else. There's also a great line he says to Barry's character when Barry has a falling out with the main rich kid. And he goes, this is going to be the greatest summer of your life. And forever, you will strive to reimagine it, recreate it, masturbate to it. But you'll only have it once. And I'll have it forever. And that was like the one good bit where I'm like, oh, that's actually pretty interesting to say. But the rest of the movie is whatever. It's a movie that thinks it's so fucking smart. Okay. All right. Well... Well, <laughs> all right. So we're going from like high cinema to Adam Sandler. <laughs> uh, no, Adam Sandler could be high cinema. Oh yeah. Oh, when he wants. When to he be. wants to be. When he wants to be, he'll be like. He'll be like. Let me make. Uh, let me make. Uh, Rain over me. Let me make. Uh, Spanglish. Get the get the safties. Get the safties. Like, speaking of, which is doing another movie with them. Yes, there, yes, he so. is. Uh, speaking speaking of that, Adam Sandler doing the voice. Uh, Leo, uh, basically another Netflix animated movie. Uh, so basically like what, uh, 2015 or something. Adam Sandler signed a deal where like all his movies were going to be released on Netflix because I think Adam Sandler saw the writing in the wall that like, you know, people hate my movies so much that they're going to stop coming to them. So let me, uh, I don't know. Let me uh, 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 make uh, a ton of money on Netflix. Yeah, let me make a ton of money on Netflix. And that's exactly what he did. I think his first movie on Netflix was uh, The Ridiculous Six. Do you remember that? I thought he, there was one he did before where he was like a shoe salesman or something. No, no, no. That, that actually the did get released in theaters. And, uh, the, yeah, The Cobbler. Oh. It was called The Cobbler. Uh, okay. But anyway, so uh, 
like so yeah he he uh he basically made this deal with netflix and uh this movie was basically netflix came up to uh, adam sandler was like hey we know you loved working on the hotel transylvania movies and you haven't worked on that uh we basically bought this uh this australian animation company and we're doing animation now like for our stuff would you like to come up with something that we can make uh, uh that we can make uh as an animated movie and adam sandler like adam sandler always does was like sure let me get one of my friends and here's the thing adam sandler i, I think we've talked about this see adam sandler when he wants to be is probably the best actor to come out of snl like it's it's between him yeah. and uh, it's between him and Bill Murray. Yeah. Um, Eddie Murphy's a close third. Yeah, Eddie Murphy's a close third. Uh, but it's just that like pound for pound, like I, I would say Adam Sandler has had the highest peak, but Bill Murray has kind of been the most consistent. But anyway, anyway. Mm-hmm. That being said, Adam Sandler's friends, like, ugh. Like it, yeah. the, the the people he hires to write and direct his stuff, oof, oof. But no, but know. he does have one friend, Rob Schneider. I'm sorry. No, 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 <laughs> not not no, not no, that no, Rob. I know. I know. Not, I know. not, not I know. that guy. Uh, he has former SNL writer Robert Schmeigel, who folks okay. you might all remember as, uh, uh. <sighs> Uh, the the dog that insults everybody. Oh, um, yes, smokes a cigar. Smokes right? a cigar. Uh, the little Rottweiler puppet. Yeah. Uh, Triumph. Triumph, the insult yeah. comic dog. The creator of Triumph, the insult comic dog. Robert Smeagol was a writer on SNL, and then he started writing for uh, Conan. He was like Conan's first uh, showrunner when when he started making his show. Uh, he's known for uh, creating the Saturday Night Live t- TV Funhouse cartoon shorts. Uh, he helped write You Don't Mess With The Zohan. He he wrote uh, the first two Hotel Transylvania films. He's, out of all of Adam Sandler's friends, he's the one who's like the most talented. So uh, the fact that, he, oh, and also he, he has a special place in my heart. He's part of the Bill Schwartzky's Chicago Superfans, Da Bears, <laughs> Da Bulls, Da Cubs. Like, I love Robert Smeagol. I was shocked when I found out he was raised in New York because I was like, no, 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 no. He ain't a New York Jew. He's a Chicago Jew. And then okay. and then it was like, no, I just lived in Chicago for a bit with Conan O'Brien and I picked up on the That's accent. All we needed. And I was like, your accent's amazing. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Uh, so Robert Smeagol wrote Leo. And what, what was the result was, and I'm shocked to say, an actually very heartwarming film about about a, a, a characters a character basically basically what leo is about is uh uh leo is this uh tu- tuatara uh tuatara lizard uh who has who's been alive for 78 human years right he's been alive okay. for 75 human years he's been alive for a long time and he's he lives there with his friend squirtle the turtle played by bill burr and uh, you know he's he's content with his life. You know he's a he's a classroom pet. What else? What more can you ask for? Uh, and you know you know because they are in a classroom, Squirtle and Leo know how to speak English. They know how to talk, mm-hmm. right? And then okay, that's interesting. And then one day, uh, one of the parents come in right before school year starts, 
and looks at looks at Leo and goes like, "Wow, that that lizard looks old." And another parent goes like, "Yeah, he's a Tuatara. They live to like 78, 80 years old, and then they die." And Leo has this crisis of existence where he goes like, "Oh my God, I'm about to die. What have I done with my life? I've never, I've never done anything with my life. Um, I've never even left this classroom. He's been in there since the 30s." And you might be thinking to yourself, like, that's pretty, like, deep, heavy subject matter for a kid's movie. And that is. And you're right. What balances it out is the good version of Adam Sandler comedy. You know, it's weird. It's juvenile. Uh, it, it's basically the stuff that Robert Smeagol and Adam Sandler are good at. It's, it's the stuff that made them popular on SNL. It, it's funny, but in a kid-friendly way. Um, so basically... Uh, because a hamster in another classroom died because no one took care of it, uh, there's a new policy oh, no. where kids have to alternate in taking the pets home for the weekend. Yeah. And Leo basically finally gets the chance to leave the classroom, and uh, he's so excited about it that he accidentally reveals that he can talk. Oh no! And what what basically happens is that the kids are like so like every kid that he meets, he's like, "Don't tell anyone I can talk. In fact, I can only talk to you." No one else knows that I can talk. And he basically uses that to start giving the kids advice to their problems so that he can find meaning in his life. Oh, that's sweet. That's the thing. I was expecting it because, listen, if you've seen the trailer for Leo, I'll be honest. Netflix, their, their, their animation company, uh, it ain't Pixar, Disney, or even DreamWorks. It's not great. Like, the animation's not that good. Like, like mm -hmm. it's it's definitely that level of animation that you would find from like those indie animation companies, like the ones that would. I was about to say it looks it looks like like it. The, like the ones that would release like Hoodwinked or or uh, or or Happily Never After. You remember those movies where you're like this? I've, they're rough. Yeah, yeah, rough animation, and and that's no different here. But what this movie has going for it is that it's like like it's it's sincere and heartfelt. And listen. Adam Sandler's doing the old Jewish grandma voice. It, like, it's rough. But then you eventually you're like, well, yeah, he's an old lizard. Of course he's going to talk like an old person. It's just mm -hmm. that, like, we have this Pavolian response where where uh, Adam Sandler using old people voice, oh, this movie's going to suck. And that's not mm -hmm. the case. This Listen, does this movie reaches the highs as, like, Disney in its heyday, Pixar in its heyday, or DreamWorks is kind of doing now? No, no. But that being said, Leo is like a good DreamWorks movie when DreamWorks first started out. So this is like Megamind. Yeah. So at that like, level. like a step below Megamind. A step below Megamind okay. in terms of like sincerity, in terms of like actual like characters. like And quality of animation, I'm guessing. Oh, no, no. Megamind had superior animation to this. Oh, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying is that Megamind had superior. Yeah. Uh, here's the thing. Um... All the speaking characters are actually pretty well developed. Like for a kids movie, you're like, "Huh?" And there's singing in this movie, but there there's a running joke about the singing in this movie that I think most people will appreciate. But yeah, I was shocked. I was like, "Huh? This movie this movie is totally breaking every expectation I ever had." Like I was expecting another Monkey King, where I was like, "Oh god, the character annoys me and the animation's bad and what's the point?" Mm. And I was like, "No, this is a this is a this is a this is a lizard, a little innocent lizard who's like, I'm gonna die soon, and I did nothing with my life. 
And mm-hmm. and the fact that yeah, it's Adam Sandler's silly voice, but you're still like, that's some deep shit. That's some heavy, heavy stuff, and it works. And the movie never makes it so heavy that uh, that the kids will start crying. Um, no, but yeah, no. This this is a movie that like. Like during during the holidays, your kids are gonna be going crazy. You're like, watch this, please. Let's not watch the, uh, let, let's not watch the. Uh, uh, what was that movie with, um, with the Hamilton guy, that he plays like a. Oh, oh, oh. Um, uh, you mean uh, let's not watch Encanto for the fifty seventh time? No, no, not Encanto. Oh. Um, let's not watch. It's another Netflix animation movie. Well, it was bought by Sony. From Sony, I mean. Um, oh, I know what you're talking about. Um, oh, damn. No, yeah. Yeah, and you know, there's a song um, in there that's like super annoying, played by the little yeah. girl character. Let's not watch yes. that. Let's watch Leo. Leo. Yeah, let's watch Please, Leo. Yeah. yeah. Like, like, let's say the annoying girl in that movie is so much worse than Adam Sandler's voice in this one. Like, eventually you get used to it. So this, well, I'm going to rate this as this is a surprisingly good kids movie. Okay. Like it's not a flush because the animation is not that good, and honestly, some of the Adam Sandler jokes you still roll your eyes at because they'll never not be cringy. Like better or worse than Over the Hedge? Oh, better, significantly better. Okay. This is better than Over the Hedge. This is, I hate to say, it, from what people are telling me, this is significantly better than Wish. <laughs> well, we listen. We we mentioned Wish earlier, and that's all we'll okay. mention of it. All right, that's all we'll mention. All right. Next up is another streaming movie. This one, a movie that's streaming for the holidays, and that is Melissa McCarthy in Genie. Now, mm-hmm. this is on Peacock, uh, and it's I don't know I don't know anything about this. Okay, it's directed by this guy named Sam Boyd. It's an adaptation of an old like '90s BBC TV movie called Bernard and the Genie. Um, and listen, it's basically what it sounds like. This British guy with his family in New York City, his family pretty much is like sick and tired of him because all he focuses is on working. And they're like, oh, he doesn't care about Christmas because it's Christmas, right? So he finds, mm-hmm. he happens to find like a a, a a lamp, rubs it, and boom, Melissa McCarthy comes out as a, as a genie. And you might be asking yourself like, Al, what would compel you to watch this? Because you're, you're already like, oh God, if Melissa McCarthy's a genie, that means horrible, horrible, horrible Melissa McCarthy physical comedy. Because mm-hmm. the worst Melissa McCarthy comedy movies are she's dumb and fat and she deserves everything that's coming to her. And like That's what they're that's what it's portraying, yes. Yeah, and it just it's just like I think the only exception to that rule were were bridesmaids. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the one she can you ever forgive me? Well, no, no, I'm talking about my... the movies where oh the comedies, the uh, comedies. bridesmaids. Um, the one she did with Sandra Bullock. Uh, oh, I know what you're talking about. I forgot, um, I forgot the name of. It. I think those were the only two that. Were... And spy, kind of. I spy, kind of. Yeah, I spy, kind of. Yeah. Out of those three, everything else that's like about her physical, like the stuff she makes with her husband, are, are they're all considered like some of the worst comedies ever made. So you might yeah. be asking yourself, Al. Why the fuck are you watching that? Why would you watch that? And on Peacock, like it must That's suck. It must suck, donkey dick. See, yeah. do you know who wrote this? Who wrote it? Richard Curtis. Wait. 
Wait a minute. Hold Richard on. Curtis. Why do I know that name? Notting Why Hill? Do I know that? Love Actually? Seriously? About Time? So, Pirate Radio? Uh, okay. Fucking Pirate Radio. I love that movie. You want to know why he wrote this? Why did he write this? Because he was the original writer of the TV movie that came out in the 90s on the BBC. Oh, and they brought him back for this. Yes. Literally, 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 I saw the trailer that said from the writer of Love Actually. I'm like, well, if Richard Curtis, because Richard Curtis, I don't know, folks, if you got. Genius. He's a genius. He's a genius. And uh, he uh, pretty much directed like three movies. Uh, mm-hmm. Pirate Radio, About Time, and uh, uh, Love Actually. Those are the three movies he's directed. And he said that he's not going to direct ever again. He's just going to write. Uh, he, the, the, man, the man has created some of the, like, like, what you know about comedy, British comedy, comes from him. Because he did Four Weddings. He wrote Four Weddings and a Funeral. He wrote... Uh, he wrote the Mr. Bean movie. He wrote Bridget Jones's Diary, Notting Hill. It's it's insane. I I can't believe I blanked out of his name because it's insane how talented he yeah. is. First of all, Four Weddings and a Funeral is incredible. Um, Death at a Funeral. Wait, did he do Death at a Funeral? Yes. Uh, uh, wait. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. No. I'm sorry. Um, but Four Weddings and a Funeral is amazing. Notting Hill. Uh, he basically made uh, Hugh Grant's career. Pirate Radio, or as it's also sometimes named in America, The Boat That Rocked, um, is one of the most underappreciated movies ever fucking made. About Time made me cry like a bitch. Were you you at the same film festival as you and I saw saw it? Yeah. I literally, every man in that theater cried. And was like, Dad, I love you so much. (laughs) I think every, it cuts to outside the theater that everyone saw it in, and all the guys are calling, Dad! Dad! So... So, yeah, if Richard Curtis writes something, I'm going to watch it, even if it is a Melissa McCarthy comedy. Have, but have so did you ever see the original TV version? No, no, I, I didn't. I didn't get a chance to see it. Never even heard of it. I just was like from the writer of, of Love Actually and Notting Hill. I'm like, well, and I thought, oh, he he just like wrote the story and it was written by someone else. No, no, no. He's the only credited writer on this. So this is this is his work. One hundred percent. So I was like, all right, let me watch it. And you know what? See, have you ever seen a Hallmark movie? Um, I saw half of one in a hotel room one time because my mom and sister were watching it. Um, I don't even remember the context of it. It was something at 16. That's all I remember. Um, but what, why? Why do you ask? Is this, is this what this was? So, listen... This is no Notting Hill for Weddings at a Funeral or About Time. This is no Love Actually. It's not at, It's not the highs of, of Richard Curtis' movie. And I think a lot of that has to do with that Melissa McCarthy is still doing Melissa McCarthy things. But, mm-hmm. like, like, this feels like someone went to Richard Curtis and was like, what? You have to follow all the rules. Make a Hallmark movie. A Hallmark Christmas movie. And he's like, okay. And following that constraints, this is probably the best version of that type of thing. I see. Um, Like, like, listen, it's just... So the guy who plays, like, the the guy who plays uh, Bernard, right? His name is uh, Papa... 
Pepe Esidru, he, he's good. He's good. He, you believe him as a guy who's like, oh, I didn't know I lost my family. I got to get my family back for Christmas. And his chemistry with Melissa McCarthy's fine. It's just that even Richard Curtis's writing, like, like, so Richard Curtis looks like he constrained himself to like, well, this happens in Hallmark movies. I got to follow that rule. So it's never as sincere as like an authentic Christmas movie, like Love Actually, where you're like, gotcha. oh God, this is so romantic, or oh God, this is so sweet. Like it's always like, oh, this is so Hallmarky. Mm. Uh, so there's that. Um, and Melissa McCarthy, you know, she still has the like. Let me use my magic. Oh, that went wrong. Oh, no. Mm. I farted out pixie dust. Exactly, exactly. And now I'm having pixie diarrhea in the toilet. No, it's never know. that bad. Like, Richard... Never that Richard bad. Curtis okay, he wouldn't do that. Richard Curtis does not debase himself with, like, really bad American toilet humor. But gotcha. He's far too yeah, sophisticated yeah. for that. But that being said, uh, it's very obvious this is, this is, like, the most corporate thing Richard Curtis has ever written. Well, I hope he made a lot of money off of Hopefully. it. Hopefully. So this to me was a like a like a like a not like a Hallmark meh. A Hallmark meh. Like most okay. most Hallmark movies suck or fucking sucks. Like mm-hmm. like Hallmark movies, especially Christmas ones are just so bad that like and they're bad because they literally follow a formula that they never break. And, and it's always so contrived and they they literally are all like, we want to make everything feel like a Hallmark Christmas card so nobody feels authentic. And that's the problem yeah. here. Richard Curtis is a genius at making authentic characters in heightened comedic situations. That's his bread and butter. Mm-hmm. And in this one, it was like, no, I got to make them Hallmark people. And it's just, you know, and here's the thing, like, like Hallmark people. Yeah. And, and so so Melissa McCarthy plays a Hallmark genie. And it's like, it's a genie that's a little dumb. And you're like, why are you so dumb? You literally met Jesus. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a Hallmark meh. But but it's one where you're well, like, you are like if you can watch it in the background. You'll see something. You're like, oh, that was very sweet. And then you keep watching. Welcome to Hallmark, Berg. Yeah, you watch it again and you're like, okay, New York's not like that. And you kind of, like, it's a movie that you can have on the background. But if you keep watching it, your, your eyes are going to start to roll. Uh, mm. But that being said, I think Richard Curtis was like, I want to make a Hallmark movie. Let me make an adaptation of an old TV movie I wrote. And mm. I think like if you're going to if someone was like, you know, I really want to watch a Hallmark movie, I'd be like, then watch Genie. That's going to be the best version of that. But that's not giving it too much credit. I know. I know. OK. Hey, what can you do? All right. Uh, the final movie in our gigantic episode 80 is another holiday movie. That Wait, I do have to ask, do you want to include a movie you just saw recently or do you want to skip? Do you not want to do that? Um, let's do a separate episode. told me about. Let's do a separate episode for that one. Cool. Sounds okay. good. Um, so, ironic. Ooh, I, previews to come. I, so. I, I was going to see this in theaters and then I was like, oh, it's only playing in theaters for one day. It's actually going to release on Amazon Prime the next day. Okay. Um, and that is... Reginald Hudlins, Reginald Hudlins, Candy Cane Lane, starring Eddie Murphy. Uh, so, folks, Reginald Hudlin, he's actually like a very, very famous like African American filmmaker because he directed one of the biggest movies of 1990. C, do you know what it was? I think I. Um, you know what? I'm not gonna guess. What What was it? House Party. Oh, the movie that that made, yeah, because then they remade it recently, or they did yeah. a weird sequel thing recently. So, House Party, 
had the kid and play hip hop duo in it. And uh, mm-hmm. it was uh, it was the movie that kind of introduced the world to Martin Lawrence and Tisha Campbell. Um, it, it was one of like that was a movie that like in the African-American community in the 90s, that was like an iconic movie. Because yeah. it, it really showed, like, the type of house... Like, it was the house party movie, because it was called House Party. Uh, so he directed mm-hmm. that. That was, like, his first movie that he ever made. Uh, then he worked with Eddie Murphy on a movie called Boomerang, which is not that good. It's a romantic comedy, but whatever. Uh, he also did... Um, he also did a... He also did the biopic of... Of... of uh, what was that? Uh, Supreme Court Justice with uh, Chadwick Boseman... Um, uh, Thurgood Marshall called Marshall. He directed oh. that back in like 2017, I think. Okay. Uh, which I never saw, but people were like, oh. What I did see was his Disney Plus movie called Safety, which was about this Clemson player who was hiding his little brother in the dorms. That was a really sweet oh movie. My, really, what? Yeah, really, really sweet movie. And, and he also huh. did the Apple TV Plus documentary of Sidney Poitier. So, oh, Sidney Poitier, yeah. yeah. But Candy Cane Lane, it's him teaming up with Eddie Murphy again. It is a Christmas movie. Uh, came out in theaters for one day and then was released the next day on Amazon Prime. So, it mm. uh, stars Eddie Murphy, who is is kind of like... So, he, here's the thing with Candy Cane Lane. Eddie Murphy, with Dolmite Is My Name and his stand-up tour that he still hasn't released the special of, is kind of going through a career resurrection. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing that killed it... Rightfully so. Yeah, rightfully Sorry. so. Dolmite Is My Name is great. Now... That being said, the thing that killed his career was his just demand to be in these just god-awful children's movies. He was being compared to Adam Sandler at a certain No, he was... Or, no, no, um, sorry, Nicolas Cage. Yeah, like, he was, like, there was one called A Thousand Words that was really bad. Or there's Meet Dave. Oh, God, that that one was so bad. Or Norbit, that one was... Norbit cost him... Norbit was the beginning of the end. Norbit cost him that Best Supporting Actor Oscar. Everyone, because he did did Dream Girls, and I was like, oh, he's going to get an Oscar. And then they saw Norbert. It's like, no, he does not deserve one. Well, he got nominated, though, right? Yeah, he did get nominated, but he lost. Because he's a. Because he was a. All right, for the record, he's amazing in Dream Girls. It's crazy how good he is. So, um,. So, imagine when I see the. the, When I'm. I'm, I just see Thanksgiving, and I look and I see the Mm -hmm. poster for Candy Cane Lane, and I'm like, oh, Eddie. Don't tell me you're doing a kids movie again and a Christmas kids movie. Oh mm. no. Um, but then I was like, let me let me watch it. Let's see. Let's see how how bad could this possibly be. So uh-huh. the movie stars Eddie Murphy, Tracy Ellis Ross, who I love from Girlfriends and uh, Blackish. She plays his wife. Uh, then we have uh, they have three kids: Joy, Nick, and Holly, which are all named after Christmas carols. Uh, Basically, the plot is this, that uh, Eddie Murphy plays this guy who's, like, really, really into Christmas. And uh, he always he, his dream has always been to win the local Christmas decoration, like, the, the lawn decoration sure. competition. Right? Yeah. He's always lost to a neighbor who literally all the neighbor does is just add a bunch of inflatables to his front yard. And, mm. and, and Eddie Murphy's character is, like, making his from scratch and out of wood, yeah. and it looks really pretty. But anyway... Uh, he loses his job. He gets fired by. <laughs> this is actually really funny. He's only in that one scene. 
He gets fired by Trevante Rhodes, who, folks, if you don't know who he is, he was in Moonlight. He plays the oldest version of that of the main character in Moonlight, and he was. Oh my God! Trevante Rhodes fires Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Imagine being told you have to do that. And he's like, I don't think I can. So, so he gets fired, and he's like really depressed. But then he finds out that this year, because uh, because uh, the the local news is going to do a segment on the the competition that there's going to be a prize money for the winner, which is a hundred grand. And he thinks that oh, wow. if he has that money, he'll be able to be stay afloat until he finds a new job. So mm-hmm. he ends up going to like a, like, like the, these movies always go. He ends up going to like this weird popped out of nowhere Christmas store where the mm-hmm. only employee is Jillian Bell, right? Jillian Bell mm-hmm. plays the only employee there. And she's like, Oh, uh, let me sell you this gigantic uh, carousel that has like 12 levels. And on each level is one of the 12 days of Christmas gifts with the very top being this golden partridge. And uh, Mm. that'll win you the competition. And he's like, yeah, I'll buy it. Buys it. And he has to sign his signature on the receipt. Um, So sets it up, puts it on the, puts it on the front lawn. And it, it, it's like the, literally is so bright that an airplane flying over LA can see it. (laughs) So he's like, Oh, I'm going to win now. I'm he's definitely going to get that hundred grand next day wakes up. And all the, on, on all the, like the carousel, all the, all the gifts that are like on the carousel are gone. So the, 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 the ducks, the swans, the drummers, the, you know, on the 12th day of Christmas, right? All, all those things are gone. All of them. All, all, each gift. Each gift is gone. And he finds out that he actually signed not a deal with the devil, but a deal with an elf that had such a stick up her ass that Santa fired her. And she oh spends she spends the rest of her days trying to roaming the earth. Cursing people with Christmas type curses, and uh, basically. So wait, does the does the movie give you like a strong vibe? This is the devil. Is that what? It no, does? no. Well, yeah. You're like, oh, this is the devil, and then what happens is that uh, he starts talking to three like little figurines that that are in the store. They're played by Nick Offerman, Chris Red, and Ramen Thed. And they literally mm-hmm. tell him, like, oh, yeah, she's a former Santa elf who got fired. And she's so pissed that she fucks with people on Christmas. And if and if you don't, like, if you don't, like, hold up your end of the contract, she's going to turn you into one of us. Oh, and by the way, that uh, that Glee group, uh, Pentonics, play, Pentatonics, Pentatonics whatever, also yeah. plays some figurines that all they do is sing in a very annoying way. Uh, that, okay. So that's the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be honest with you guys. It's not a bad premise. I'll say that. It's not a bad premise. It's just that it's very convoluted. Like, why Mm. are they turned into Christmas decorations? Why is Nick Offerman talking in a British accent? Uh, Why, like, why? I'm trying to picture that and it's really weird. (laughs) Yeah. and, And, like, why? There's so many things he does, like, what, like, for instance, the whole thing is like, oh, you got to collect the five rings, like five golden rings. Right. And yeah. then you'll you win. You win the contract and you won't turn mm-hmm. into a little toy. And you're mm-hmm. like, OK, but what do the 12 days of Christmas have to do with this? Whatever. OK, fine. Um, Listen. I'm sure whoever wrote this had a very interesting idea. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. positive of it. 
But what happened? First of all, this movie has a ton of product placement that, like, you can't mm. ignore. Like, they literally make it a plot point that they drive these Jeep uh, uh, electric cars mm. as, oh, we're, we need this car in order to, like, save the day. And you're like, okay. There's literally uh, – and this was weird to me. Like, I guess because Amazon was like, we'll pay the money. There's a scene where Eddie Murphy's character goes into a Walmart to buy some decorations and everything in Walmart sucks so bad that he just goes like, oh, everything in this store sucks so bad. And he leaves. And I'm like, oh, that's Amazon being like, yeah, we'll pay for us to talk shit about Walmart. Wow. Um, uh, it's just. <sighs> the first cut is the deepest. Exactly. Um, it's, 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 it's very yeah. corporate. Now, I will say this. This is nowhere near as bad as the other children's movies that Eddie Murphy has done. This is this oh, is sure. not dead, Daddy Daycare bad. It's Oof. just very mediocre. Like mm-hmm. you think to yourself, like uh, Eddie Murphy really doesn't know how to pick like a good kids movie. Like he just doesn't. Mm. Um, and, and this one, like like the whole point of it is that he's kind of bonding with his youngest daughter. He's learning to understand the middle son and his old because the middle son basically really likes music, but he likes playing the tuba. <laughs> like he's he doesn't want to be a hip hop mm. artist. He wants to be a tuba player. Okay. And uh, her oldest, his oldest daughter is like a track star. And he's like, oh, you're going to go to USC because they live near L.A. And she actually wants to go to Notre Dame. Mm. Uh, and you're like, there's something there. But it's so like surface level that you're like, OK, whatever. Now, Jillian Bell, she's giving it her all. She's like she's definitely playing the part of like the, the, the deal with the devil character. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 fun. But. Like, outside of Jillian Bell and Tracy Ellis Ross, such a waste of her presence because she's just kind of there to be, like, your standard movie suburban wife. Like, she goes, like, oh, this is all crazy. This is... The only thing that's funny is that Chris Red's character flirts with her. And there's nothing more funny than seeing, like, a glass decoration flirt with, an, with a human woman. And she goes, like, oh my and God. she just goes, like, she pretty much wants to tell him to shut the fuck up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, no, the movie's just... The 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 moon. Put it this way: This is not Meet Dave. This is not Daddy Daycare. This is not um, Thousand Words. This is not uh, 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 what was what was those other horrible movies? This is not Norbit. This is not like so bad that you're gonna throw up. It's just mm-hmm. it's just forgettable. It's super yeah. forgettable, and that sucks because because you know when we saw Klaus, right? Oh my god! I was like, "Oh my god, these these Christmas streaming movies! If that's the diamond I can find in it, I need to watch it." Yeah, right. Because damn, we watched. Oh, sorry, I, don't no. I, I'll stop because I'll start talking about Klaus and I'll start to cry. It was. It, it's um, that thing where you're like, "Oh my god, that's so amazing!" And I was like, "Listen, I wasn't expecting this to be like Klaus, but I was. I was expecting this to be like. Well, Eddie Murphy seems to like." choose good projects now and this was just so corporate so safe so vanilla like mm. like the 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 only the only thing i'll say that was extraordinary was the set design say what okay. you will so the the so basically it's like on the outside the the pop-up store looks pretty small but on the inside it's this giant like christmas wonderland store and it's mm. all like a physical set it's all built. a practical Ooh. set and, and then there's like the scene with the with the with the Christmas lawns, those are mm-hmm. all like practical. 
And you're like, wow. The, the only thing that's CGI was like the carousel because you look at the carousel, you're like, yeah, no one's going to make something like that practical. No. But but the the set design in this movie, I was like, wow, everything's like really Christmassy. It's really nice. Like like they could have easily had turned that whole uh, scene in inside the store, all of it's CGI, but they don't. It's all practical. It's just so Christmassy and nice that you're like, I could just pause the movie and just appreciate that set. It's so good. Mm-hmm. But no, you have to press play and you're just kind of like, all right. I guess like, the- so it's like, you know what? It's like his version of haunted mansion. The set is amazing, but then you have to press play. I mean, he wasn't the first haunted mansion. Um, yeah, no, I know. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. But yeah. So for me, this is a, this is a holiday cheer. Meh. Like holiday cheer mess. Yeah. No, I wouldn't say it's already, already. Holly. It was a, it was a Chris mess. Ah, oh, go, go, go leave. See, go leave. All right, bye, bye, bye. I'll, I'll, I'll bye. But um, no, yeah. Uh, this is a Christmas, a Christmas movie. Um, it's 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 <laughs> like, like, I, and I'm a little bummed. There doesn't seem to be that Christmas movie. Like this year had not been good for streaming with their seasonal movies. It hasn't. No. Like, like really you usually hasn't. always got one where you're like, oh, like, like uh, Amazon Prime had a very sweet British Christmas movie that came out last year that I was like, that had um the kid from Hugo in it. Um, oh, okay. Um, Asa Butterfield. That was really mm-hmm. sweet. It was really nice. Like, it wasn't the greatest oh. thing in the world, but it was, it was nice. And in this one, yeah. in this one, I'm like, Eddie Murphy, like, ugh. I, I think he's just, he just has a blind spot when it comes to like. Family movies. I I think his he must just really like them, or he wants to like leave that behind for a lot of his kids. Well, yeah, he has a ton of kids, and he's basically mm-hmm. he admitted that like all those horrible kids movies they did was because like before that, outside of Shrek, all I did was adult movies, and I'm like, dude, mm-hmm. you know how to choose adult movies. Like, here's the other thing. Here's uh, one of our, one of our friends once told me. Once directors, actors, writers, what have you, start doing a lot of kids' movies, like to the point where they can't all be good, guess what's going to happen to your kids? They will grow up and they will appreciate the things you did. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I, like I, he just had, like he still has like a bunch of young kids, so I can see that mm-hmm. being the thing. But it's like, I don't know, dude. Like if you want to make a Christmas movie, there could have, like make your version of Scrooge or something, but this yeah, was not anything. it. This was not it. That being said, Jillian Bell is definitely selling it as a as a very vindictive elf, and uh, and and the set of her store was gorgeous, just gorgeous. Like like, put up pull up that movie, uh, Candy Cane Lane, and just watch the scene with the decorations, the lawn competition, the the Christmas decoration yeah. competition, and then just watch like any scene that that takes place inside the store, and you'll just be like, oh, this is this is the beauty of a practical set. Like this okay. is the beauty of a Batgirl set, but outside of that, like everything's super mediocre. And the CGI, because a lot of the Twelve Days of Christmas gifts are animals, the CGI is just mm. not that great. It's not. Uh, that's. <sighs> but it is what it is. Unfortunate. All right, so that has been our giant episode eighty of a bunch of films that we did not feel. New- that's been our eightieth Paluga. Uh, no, never mind. I'm not gonna go there. Eightieth movie spectacular. Like movies that we were like, uh, either we didn't see together, or we were like, uh, we don't need to do like a like a independent review on episode episode on because it'd be like we wouldn't have much to yeah, talk so about. Everything that we've seen between August and and sort of now, so. 
yeah, yeah. Hopefully you guys like our review. Like, it seems like C had saw seen better stuff than I did because I was like, oh, if it's on streaming, uh, you never know. Yeah, well, you you like I said, because the American Taliban does not allow you to watch Western cinema, you were only able to watch the shitty stuff when they were torturing the various people. Yeah, I had to use a VPN too. So, oh, okay. So, All right. Yeah. Well, in any case, oh, this has been. What I'll do you stop. think? I'm Al, and I'm C. Merry Christmas, everybody. Good night, and uh, I hope there are more episodes before then. But if not, Happy New Year. 